2: Good evening, everybody. Uh, a little after 8 o'clock tonight, uh, in the UK, we're back on Greenwich Mean Time uh, at the moment. Uh, there are a couple of places that haven't yet had their clocks fall back uh, for autumn and winter.
3: Of course, the entire southern hemisphere has gone forward because of spring down there.
2: Ah, yes, good point. Very good point. They've sprung forward, haven't they? Yes. So, uh, I've no clue what time it is, wherever you are, but... As you heard there, we've got the gang back together tonight after a few weeks with various iterations of people hither and, if you will, thither. Uh, we've got a sort of normal programme. And on this sort of normal packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what?
3: Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Including some features you haven't been doing in my absence. Although, well, to be fair, it was only last week's I've missed. Uh, I was here two weeks ago. Yes, but you haven't but been But we didn't here. have Nick two weeks ago. Yes,
2: exactly. That's what I'm saying. And we haven't always been... It's. There's no fun in doing some of the features without you being around.
3: Indeed. So we'll have some news in Spanish. Ooh. Uh, we'll have some uh, culture. Oh, culture. Yes. What, and we're not talking about something growing in a Petri dish here, are we? There might be some of that. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, we, 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 we're going to be uh, having some uh, music.
2: Ooh, how Lovely.
3: Uh, we've got lots of people uh, joining us on the show tonight. Excellent. Um, including, including, we've taken the big interview on the road today. So that. We've been all the way to Silverstone. Yeah, that's a, actually... That's a long journey for you.
2: Well, do you know what? It's it's over an 80-mile round trip, I've just realised.
3: <laughs> when I
2: got back, it's made closer to 100 miles than it is 50. Put it that way. Uh, Shall I do a bit of housekeeping? Yes, please. Kevin Payne is, apologies for absence this week, catching up on the podcast. Otto van Fürth fantastic. Uh, he says, uh, here's the theory, Hamilton wins the 20 championship, retires on seven. Leclerc fed up with Ferraris in an strife, up sticks to Merck, wins champ- X amount of championships with them. Vettel never wins another F1 world, oh sorry, Verstappen never wins an F1 world championship.
3: There's a big issue with that. Which is? Hamilton's not going to settle for seven. No, he's
2: not, of course he isn't. Of course not. Uh, Hello to SES Software, uh, the Mars Bar. Excellent. Uh, Jesse. Is
3: that an intact Mars Bar? It
2: is at the moment. I'm not sure how long ago that that was. I
3: don't want to leave that out in the sun.
2: Or the rain, apparently, he was talking about there. No airfares from Brodie. Shopping for flights to Sebring 2020 with travel destinations. Good move. Very good move. Chris Will uh, is listening in tonight. Uh, and lamenting the passing of a number of people from the motorsport world will reflect that in Midweek Motorsport tonight, which is Series 14, Episode 42, is it? Or That's what I'm calling it. Uh, are you sure?
3: Well, everything I've uh, prepared for this show has got uh, 42 in its name, so it's going to be Episode 42 for now.
2: Uh, we only did that some 40 last week.
3: Okay, well, this is Episode 41. <laughs> Don't do that to me.
2: You've really panicked. You've really panicked me there. AFA is from Alexander Orkin. He's at the Composites UK Awards dinner at the National Motorcycle Museum. Looking forward uh, to the podcast. Now, there's something that I wish I'd gone to. Uh,
3: The National Composite Awards. Yes. Composites, actually, plural. Yes. Uh,
2: Hello to, for Pete's sake, as well as uh, Right Turn Lover. He's AFA tonight, spending the evening with his mum. Catch you on the podcast. Rare enough, he says, that my mum and I are in the same country. Yes, family time is important time, RTL, so stick with that. A hint of smoke in the air for Carol Brink today. Our best wishes to everyone in California. Uh, Whether or not the wildfires are anywhere near you, sounds like it's been really difficult over there uh, at the moment. Simon Hoff is AFAs again tonight, saving the podcast for Friday on a work day. Hope to be live next week. Okay, fine. Josh Barrett. Uh, Looking forward to hearing uh, our two special guests for the big interview tonight. Uh, Great performance from both last weekend where Josh was commentating at the Formula Ford Festival. Ah, yes. Excellent stuff. The Colonel, no airfares tonight, fish and chips, awaiting the last word on the week's action. Look out for yellow flags.
3: And the Colonel really should be eating chicken, shouldn't he? He should,
2: Yes. Matt Endane's is tonight as well, collecting a spare stroke donor car for the ZR. Well, I hope you get the uh, on the podcast this time because you missed it. However, we will restore 39 and the start of 39 shortly. No EFAs for Chris Suku tonight, following a hot chicken curry and organising my DVD and Blu-ray collection into alphabetical order. It should take about two hours. Taking the leaf out of Alex Orpin's book into how to get the jobs done. I see what you've done there. Very good. Now, is that alphabetical by uh, title of the DVD, regardless of where it fits, or movies, races, whatever, or racing section, other section,
3: or by director?
2: Yes, absolutely. No airfares from the crotch belt tonight. Strapped in and ready to go. Uh, Adrian, uh, sorry, Adam Bauman, Bauman, excuse me, has remembered to tune in this evening live. Uh, Rainy and dreary in Virginia. Actually, quite pleasant, although cold, dry and crisp in the UK, the centre of the UK. Neil Gardner is about to draw a Porsche Cayman with a glass of wine. Well, I presume you're going to use a pencil. pencil. Yes, yes. Ah, yes, very good. Neil has been turning out some stunning work lately here. A, A recent Aston Martin, I think it was a DB5 that he did, was absolutely Outstanding. At Timber if you want to get in touch with us, please. And Tim, ha- up in London, has had time to shuffle his papers. Let's play... Ooh, a bit of a wobble on that jingle. Uh, let's play the news jingle, then, as that one decides to stop.
1: All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: Phew, just got that one in. Tim, what's the top story tonight?
3: That bit of tape must be uh, wearing...
2: <laughs> Tim... <laughs> That's exactly what it sounded like, actually. A bit if, of
3: wow and flutter.
2: A bit of wow and flutter, as if you know it got caught under under a, a, a caster of a studio chair whilst uh, re-recording it and looping it. Uh, what's the top story tonight, Tim?
3: Uh, we're going to start with Formula One. Right. Which now, means it's time to introduce our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon.
2: Finger on the buzzer. Hooray! I'm
4: not even it. Hooray! Where are you? You Big sound like you're on the phone. Is that good or bad? Well, it, it just...
3: well, the fact that we can hear you is good, but it's not the, it's not the best line we've ever had from you. It
2: does sound uh, a bit my, no, David is... Coleman at, in Mexico for the World yeah, Cup in this, 1970. Yeah, this is my new
4: headset. I've got, a, I've got a new headset. I don't think you're talking to I, us through it. I am. No, I have checked that. I've have uh, given that a good old check. You're right. It does sound, I thought on my Skype test calls it sounded a little bit kind of uh, um, telephony rather than everything else. You sound perfect, you two. Lovely in both ears. Well, we are everything. perfect. Yes, okay. And in perfect synchronicity as well. Uh,
2: at least mm. when we said it, by the time it got to you, it might have split up a little bit. Well, you've got a lovely headset there that you could use if you can just do a bit of soldering. Yeah, yeah.
4: I need to have a slightly different input device as well. This is Bluetooth. I can I can meander about and not pull any cables out
3: or anything. Yeah. Oh, is it cableless? Well,
4: there's your problem yeah. straight away. Ah. It's
2: Bluetooth and fabulous. And next week on technology that Nick has adopted... <laughs> Um,
4: uh, well, I was giving it as another minute. You're not, another, another new you're not job. quite
2: the early adopter that you used to be, uh, in in fairness, but, uh, uh, but you, you still do like your you, you gadget, don't you? Uh, Tim, where would you like to take Nick, if you'll pardon the expression?
3: Well, the trouble with Bluetooth <laughs> is it's uh, very low bandwidth, so everything's going to sound go. really thin. And you can get away mm-hmm. with this if you're listening to horribly compressed MP3s on your mm-hmm. uh, generic group based listening mm-hmm. device. Yes, but actually for this sort of thing, it's terrible. Uh, moving on, <laughs> it was the <a> Mexican <laughs> oh, Grand. So
4: I will scowl. The next thing, I apologise. That's you. Too old.
3: Have a bit of wire <laughs> uh, next week. No, this weekend. Last weekend was the yes. uh, Mexican Grand Prix in Mexico.
4: What? Well, a rebar, or was it Mario Archie? Uh, who is their, uh, their, their mascot. Who? Uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about him. Fettel's ire. OK, we're going to talk about first things. I've got loads.
3: Shall we start with qualifying?
4: Go on, then. Uh, is...
3: So, we all What's thought should... that uh, Ferrari would be the fastest cars, and they were. Um, well. And uh, Verstappen uh, was pretty fast as well. Uh, and then he did something silly.
4: Well, no, apparently, according to him, to, to him, because he is always right in his world, he just did what it, you know, he just kept on going. Because why should he stop? the car crashed in front of him. <laughs> no important. <tool>. Yellow flag. <laughs> I love it, yellow flags. I'm on a I'm on an ego trip of unbelievable levels. The man's an idiot. He is a complete idiot. An I, I... Idiot. An unsafe idiot. And he carried on being an idiot and. The bigger idiots, the people who are protecting him. John?
2: The, the It's the arrogance, isn't it? I, I, I think. Um, because all he had to do was lift and he would have been on pole. Because he's, he, his other lap was still good enough to have taken pole position. I, I do not understand anybody who tries to defend him. And I saw a lot of it, um, it on social media. People saying, oh, it wasn't doubles. It was only a single. Clear. Um, But a single yellow flag means slow down and be prepared to stop. I mean, read the rule book.
4: Yeah, you see, you saw the accidents. You've seen a car hit the barriers within the last 15 seconds. Might be an idea because you don't know what's going to happen next. A wheel could have come off, a man could have jumped over the fence. So just ease off a bit. You know, it kind of makes sense.
2: Well, Um, I saw a couple of drivers being taken to task uh, by people who clearly... Uh, i'm fairly certain had never sat in a race car ever um or driven on a track probably uh, and some big name race drivers as well including some former formula one drivers saying that was nonsense what was he thinking about when you know when we've had uh, incidents in the past I- including uh, i can't remember which driver it was that mentioned Jules bianchi's accident um, and saying, we've seen what happens when people don't slow down enough. We've seen what happens when people don't respect yellow flags. And there was, there was all kinds of potential for disaster there. And I, I do not understand why people don't see that. And we're trying to defend what Verstappen did. And it was nothing to do with the FIA being, you know, biased towards Ferrari. That's a nonsense thing to say. An absolute nonsense thing to say. It was cut and dried, was it not?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing, and I completely agree with your point about why you trying to defend the indefensible. There appears to be a strange force field of, of supporters around uh, Max, who appear to spend their entire time Puffing him up mm-hmm. and, and saying he's, he's he's right and the whole world's against him and it's not fair and, oh, he doesn't make a mistake and he's perfect and everything else. And then you get the, the next one goes, oh, he's young, he's inexperienced. Do you, know what that, do you know how many races it was he did on the next 100. His 99th, 100. His, his 99th Grand Prix in Mexico. Oh, right, so it's his 100th this weekend, yes. Yeah. Do you know who had a career of 99 races? Come on, then. Jackie Stewart three times world champion well, safety campaigner do you think he'd be particularly proud of him as another man who hit 99 races this time who's won let's be honest nothing mm-hmm. and has constantly got an excuse for not winning anything um and completely ignores the safety because he's lived in a world where it doesn't matter and he has no experience coming up to the junior ranks and frankly after 99 races whether you're 32 or 22, you should know better. You should know how to drive. You should know how to drive safely.
2: Well, that's 99 and... Formula One races. That's not 99 races, is it? Let's be honest. No, it's not that far off. it mean, wasn't a lot
4: of casting. But, I mean I just, I just think the whole thing is it's, it's symbolic did he, of...
2: Did he get any other sanction, Nick, other than um, the three players penalty did he get points on yeah, his licence yeah on? he got two
4: yeah. points on his licence yeah yeah they didn't it, it's just I just the, yeah, uh, jumping to the race again and he, they, then he has a, several incidents in the race which weren't his fault and it's not down to him it's a bit so unfair <laughs> you know since, since the summer break when he came to the summer break as the greatest driver in the history of the world uh, TM according to the press who spent their entire time saviour of Formula 1 mate saviour of Formula yeah. 1 since then, he has, I think, crashed out, alright, it wasn't his fault in Japan, but in other, he's crashed out, I think, of four out of five races, or four well, out the of Well, the stat,
2: all you can ever do is measure somebody against their teammate, and since Alex Albon has joined Red Bull, he's earned way more points than Max Verstappen. I mean, that, that would have been hardly believable before that. Chris Suku, one of a number who've pointed that out on, aspect mm. Your teammate. alright, as you say, Max hasn't necessarily finished all the races. It, it's it is, it is honestly, it is barely believable, and um, I. There were people saying he he was penalised for telling the truth in the post-race press conference. No, what? Because you don't think they have the capability to look to see if people lifted off?
4: It was already under, but that, that's already been um, debunked by Michael Massey. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at it, if you, let's, let's let's examine. Um, the key difference between him and the other hotshot, uh, Charles Leclerc. How many times has Charles Leclerc gone, I need to learn from this, I need to take this away, I need to work out Every it time hard. he
2: makes a mistake. Every so, single time he
4: makes a mistake. Have you ever heard Verstappen admit he was wrong? No. Negative. And it's like, and have you ever heard anyone in his entourage criticise him? No. He's turning into one of those, he's just basically he's turning into a terrible, spoiled brat. Now, it's interesting, and I think it really is interesting, is that the strong rumour coming out of uh, Red Bull is that the Verstappen team don't want Albon, Gasly or Kvyat to partner him next year. Hmm. They want somebody experienced. And the reason is what they have found is that Max has no knowledge of how to develop the car. Yeah. So the reason the car hasn't developed, I mean, it didn't help him in Gasly and the car was doing nothing, but effectively you've got one guy who's 22 but has no car development skills. They've lost, obviously... Um, Ricciardo, they, and they haven't replaced it. And, and now they, they, they think, oh, we want someone fast. They want someone fast. They want some experience. You can tell them what to do. Because mm. that car has gone backwards relative to Ferrari, has, and also backwards relative to, to Mercedes, even though Mercedes haven't really pushed much since they effectively won the title before the summer break. And I just, you sit there going, and they've got Marco backing up, his dad backing up. And what someone needs to do is have a serious conversation with him and actually talk to him about manage his mentality because they, no, no one denies the boy is quick but you've got to it, 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 the fact is the difference between the quick drivers and the good drivers and the champions it's all in the brain it's all in the mind
3: the thing is that uh, you can't say Daniel Courriette is not experienced he's done 92 Grand Prix
5: not quick though
3: he's not necessarily quick but he's not, uh, a lot more not. experienced than Gasly or Albon and not that far off of Verstappen himself
4: yeah, but he's not, he's not... I mean, I know what you're saying, but he's not... If you're sitting there going, right, I want to find someone who can actually de- uh, help drive, drive and develop a car, I don't think that you know, Bottas can do that.
3: Raikkonen. And,
4: Doing that. And Raikkonen does it. And the, you know, and, and obviously that's what they've missed from, from when, when Danny Ricks has gone. You've got, they haven't got a founding board, a founding board who knows what they're talking about. You've either got a rookie or, or a guy who's done a year and, and is struggling. So, you know, this is why the the, the rumor about Hulkenberg won't go away. Even though it'd be a com- tremendous embarrassment, and climb down to, to to sign him, as far as the Red Bull staircase of of, of sackings is concerned. But
2: they, should it not be the slippery pool, yeah. the Red Red Bull slippery pool of of is, sackings? Helter Skelter. Uh, oh, very good, very good. The Red Bull <coughs> that is that has to be a thing. <laughs> that sure. absolutely I, has to be a thing. That is so them as well. The Red Bull held a Skelter of talent. We, put, we take you all the way up to the top, relatively quickly, and then you go down even quicker.
4: Mm-hmm. I think actually, it probably, it probably actually uh, is close to snakes and ladders,
6: because <laughs> well, you're always up yes. and
4: down, you, th- you take, a, take, a, take another throw of the dice, and you're back in the team again, you're out of the team again, you're, oh, you know, you're, you're in for four races in Japan, you're back out, or, You know, it's like, just ridiculous. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting, I think they've, there has been a realisation among his team that he isn't the mm-hmm. round individual driving he can't drive the car, He's got this fan base, which is ridiculous. I and mean, how are you in driver for the day for just crashing into people and then just overtaking people you should overtake anyway. I don't know, but that's the thing about you know that's why you should never trust the public uh, on anything. Um, yeah, you know, and I think I think the, I think the British the British Isles are a good example in the last four or five years. Um, we'll but, move we'll move uh, on
2: uh, to Tim's next point after this from Neil Gardner, who uh, has put down his glass of wine that he was trying to draw the uh, the Porsche came in with and now picked up a pencil. He says, um, Max has all the arrogance of a seven-times world champion, but none of the substance or success to back it up. If it, if this is his opinion, this is Neil's, he says, um, either he is going to get hurt or he's going to hurt someone else before long unless this arrogance is checked. Christian Horner fuels it. It's a poisonous team at Red Bull. Interesting.
4: Uh, your no, thoughts, please? Come yeah, on. Let's they are previous in this. You know, they, they built Settle up into the, the, you know, unpleasant machine he was, Multi-21, everything else. And he could do no wrong. And, mm. you know, and, and he went somewhere else and he's come out and stuck several times because, you know, in the real world, it's not the Red Bull world. I mean, yeah, it's, it's... They need to have a conversation and they seem unwilling to do it because he is their golden goose.
7: Uh, but
2: just before we move uh, on, off, here's a point from Matthew it's, Hindman. It's, Here's a point from sorry Nick. Here's a point from Matthew Hindman. He says um, the big issue was for me even after Max's comment in the press conference, Christian Horner was still defending his actions. Why? What could he be defending? Red Bull like a good manager who will take action when Max does something wrong. I, I mean, is it is it a bit of a of a of a play
4: park there for Max and a bit of a you know a Max bubble? Yeah, of course it's like I said, It was the petal bubble. I mean, the point about it is, is that Christian Horner manages the team like Arsene Wenger used to manage Arsenal. I see nothing. I didn't see anything. We are right, you know. And 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 that's the, the, he's got that kind of thought manager mentality, you know, where he doesn't actually know to say nothing, um, and he just wants to blindly back. And he needs to actually. I mean, again, yeah, the thing is, they're completely seen through now. Everyone sees through him, so I'm not quite sure they're bothering doing it.
2: Declan Brennan has just come up with the. Um, the TV equivalent of the Red Bull Helter Skelter of talent. It's Helmut Marcos Whim of Fortune, which I think <laughs> is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I'd Damon, for your views on that part of the Grand Prix of Mexico. And Tim, where would you like to go next in our foreign... foreign uh, if I do like the fact that Nick has basically gone for the... 1970s World Cup in Mexico sound on his uh, on his connection to us tonight, <laughs> which is uh, it's very it's Your video, yeah. What <laughs> now? Uh, where do we go next, Tim? Uh,
3: we're going to Haas, and so is Robert Kubica apparently.
4: To, uh, I need to, to pretend. I need, to... I need to play on the computers. Ah,
3: but you might get yeah, some I FP1 mean, sessions.
4: Well, but no. both the drivers, both are drivers, we don't. Want him to have FP1 sessions? It's not fair. No FP1 sessions for you. Um, I don't know. I think that they, they are uh, obviously they've been horrendously lost since about race number two. And they perhaps want to have an extra pair of, well, single hand or pair of hands, extra single hand on the tiller, um, to, to help them move forward. Um, you know, again, it's the hash thing is a, a strange situation. You kind of would have thought that they would have benefited from actually changing one of the two drivers, have the option to do it, decided not to. And now they're trying to look at getting a, a second opinion from a driver who's been out for eight years. And, uh, just has a a single um, season with a very uncompetitive team where he's been comprehensively outraced by a uh, 21-year-old.
2: But Nick, why would you possibly give Robert Kubica FP1 sessions? I understand why they do it to, well, some teams do it to some of their reserve drivers because they are young and less experienced.
3: And have huge wallets.
2: Well, uh, Kubica does potentially bring money. Um, but, I mean, really? Why would you... By all means have him standing by, by all means have him doing sim work back at, uh, back at base, but why would you put him in FP1? What could you possibly, possibly gain from doing that?
4: Uh, Polish sponsorship money.
2: But... but it, it, what I'm seeing is, though, you could potentially compromise your race weekend by giving up a session for I, one of your no, one of your
3: no, proper mate. drivers. This is harsh. they're very I mean, good the, at compromising race weekends on own. No, I think that, that
4: yeah, they'll, they'll be saying they want to have someone else, you know, saying what the car's doing. The extra Polish cash won't go awry, and it's a bit of PR. I mean, I, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But then there's these 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 decisions in, in the in the midfield often don't make much decision because you, you don't quite know the ins and outs all.
2: Uh, it's in the Midweek Motorsports. Uh, we are on uh, Series 14, episode 41. I'm sticking with that. Thank you very much. Uh, Nick Damon is on the line. Tim Gray is up in London, our executive producer. Uh, and still to come, we'll have share Adam with some American news, including a bit of an IMSA roundup, some driver changes there on the merry-go-round as well at the moment. Uh, we've got our Big interview just after nine o'clock, which we took on the road today. So it's the big interview, mobile big interview, if you, you like. But we're sticking with F1 at the moment. <laughs> well, well, as mobile as I get at my age. Um, the uh, We'll stick with F1 at the moment. And Tim will pause this question to Nick
3: Tierman. Well, we talked about qualifying. We never actually talked about the race. And with those Ferraris yes. filling the front row of the grid, they went off into the sunset with their superior engine power and... Uh, Took advantage of the uh, altitude, which uh, so hurts Mercedes, and uh, got a one-two in the race. You no, know, no,
4: that didn't actually happen. No. Um, uh, and obviously, race, they the also race, took they
3: advantage did. of the fact that Lewis was without his regular engineer, uh, Pete Bonnington. Uh, so yep. uh, he would have struggled even more than usual. And I think he got some damage on the uh, first corner, didn't he? So uh, I mean, his his race might as well have been over.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, that, oddly, that, that synopsis is something you could have expected from, from some of these situations. I mean, First of all, the, the thing to remember is um, about Ferraris. Ferrari, Ferrari are, have a fantastic qualifying car. Their race car is not as quick, or at least not significantly quicker. Uh, so it's not as quick over a lap, it's still much quicker down the main straight than the Mercedes. And they do have this massive, massive great blunder bus, which they keep in the back of the garage, just to shoot themselves in the foot, at least once a race. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because there's, there's always rumours about the Ferrari engine and people where they've gone and protested you can and people come up with an idea about what they're doing to get the extra power in qualifying, um, you know, and they're waiting to get protested. The fact is that their race pace obviously comes more from uh, their slipperiness than their, their extra power. They have improved their ethnic package, hence the reason not being left behind as well in the first half of the season. Um yeah, and they kind of, everyone kind of made a, a bit of a boo-boo, really. I mean, the, the, the track conditions were interesting in that there was rain every night, so the track got washed clean. So it never, in fact, it was green every day, um, no rubber down. And that worried people massively about tyre wear and tyre degradation. And if you remember last year, there was a huge amount of blistering on the cars last year. Um, so they had this hard tyre, which people hadn't really run, and everyone was saying, it oh, I'll well, do 30 laps at most. Um and therefore, probably a two-stop strategy was the best idea. Uh, and then, it caused it in the race, to completely turn around. And, you know, basically, uh, Mercedes pulled the pin um, with Lewis um, on lap 23 of 70-something. giving 50 laps to, to run the, on, the, on the hard tyre. I was thinking they could give it a go. And Q. Lewis having a massive radio whinge, which he normally does, which we're <laughs> all very used to now. And Q everyone going, Oh he's such a whinger and then he's thinking, No, we all know now that's how he motivates himself. It's Correct. absolutely fine. Giving himself up and then what did he do? He do? had a whinger two laps, put his head down forty nine laps and won the race. And I have to be honest with you, it's getting a little bit like the boy who cried Wolf now. It not not Toto Wolf, just just Wolf. Um because I must well, admit, if it was the boy started saying the that... If it was the boy that cried Toto, that would be a whole different
2: storyline altogether, wouldn't it?
4: Would, yeah, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be he's not in Kansas, city, Kansas anymore. He's not in Kansas. He's anymore. not, no, he's in no. Texas. But no. I okay. kinda of, at that point I kind of I, I kind of felt, you know what, um, you know, these tires are going to last. But it did take some great driving from Lewis. Uh, and people said, Oh, look at Max, he did six something like that Max is in clear air, uh, not racing anybody, just trundling around. And he fell off track three times, but no one talked about that. Um, so he did a great job uh, to hold the tires together. I mean he did spe- he did especially well because there was there was the floor damage. Um cause for the contact with the staff, which in fairness to Max was probably two thirds Lewis, one third him, but actually was more a case of uh, a first corner incident than anything else. And that would have cost him a, you know, a bit of balance and a couple of tenths. It's quite a nasty bit of, of ripping off the side of his floor. And he just drove really, really well and complete within himself and did what you do when you're an experienced uh, driver in a world championship champion and just drove as fast as he needed to, to stay ahead and keep the in condition and Ferrari got out Fox. I, I, everyone kind of, you know, had a massive go at Ferrari, but I kind of felt it was one of those things where they went into it in the unknown and, and they possibly made it. It was weird that they reacted to Albon with, uh, Leclerc. But my feeling on that one was they felt Leclerc was holding up, uh, Fettel and they wanted to get him out of the way. Um, so they basically wanted to give Vettel a better run, not because they were favouring Vettel, just because they felt he had a better chance of, get, of actually winning. Because they are aware they are slower than, say, he's in the race, they have to try and, you know, when they can, when the tyres are fresh if they have a gap, they can then they can then lose. So I think that was why they brought him in rather than Vettel, and I think that's why they probably thought, right, this is a chance to do a two-stop. If the two stops right, we're going to be okay. Now the thing to remember is whilst Leclerc didn't really pull off the second the second two stages of the race. I think half, partly that is down to Leclerc still being very inexperienced. And partly they, they blew four seconds in a botched pit stop, mm-hmm. which would have put him absolutely on the tail of Bottas much, much earlier, where he was very fresh. And he's got them with power and DRS. You kind of think that he would have got past him. At that point, he's then behind he's behind um, Fettles. And, and, then, and then I'm sure there would have been a swap, and then he, had a, he would have had a go at. Um, Lewis. So um, I think in, in, in that case, you know, he, he still I think Lewis would have won, but I think he had to to stay out of DRS range, was toying with them. But you know, it was a kind of a combination of, of problems for Ferrari, uh, and they are managing to find new ones every week. But they are effectively what they're doing is they're making these races interesting now because I mean, it's remarkable. A remarkable fact is that Lewis Hamilton now has won uh, ten races. Ten? Yes, ten. And he's only been on the pole four times. So Lewis Hamilton, the greatest qualifier of all time, numerically, mm-hmm. has only managed four pole positions this year. That's how out they've been by um, the Ferraris and, and a couple of times by the, by the Red Bulls. Ferrari had nine pole positions and won three races. I think um, Mercedes have had seven and won 13. You know, that's the difference they've just managed to manage it better. And the last three races, you know, they've, they've had Ferrari, they've had, I think two lockouts, and, and they almost had pole, and they've not won any of them. Um, so it is interesting that, you know, whilst track position is key, you can still do things with a, with a modicum of, of good fortune and some great driving. And you've seen some, some really good driving. And, and again, you, whilst these, these, you know, the the best driver ever, Leclerc's best driver ever, the fact is the best driver at the moment is winning the world championship by seventy-four points because he just does it week in, week out, week in, week out. You know he doesn't have the accident, so he's made one mistake all season um, in the wet in Germany uh, when he was under the weather. Anyway, he's still got two points in that race, and the rest of them have been throwing the car off left, right, and centre, or having reliability issues, and that's why they've won. Now it's a major job for Ferrari to try and regroup re- re- over the next year, but at least they're starting with a quick, quick car to start with. But Hamilton is, whatever you think of him, he is one of the all-time greats, and he's just proving it to us by making it look easy.
3: What, uh, um, or who uh, had to go to hospital in uh, Mexico?
2: Everybody who... Sorry, go on. Was it Gasly, the food poisoning?
3: He wasn't the only one.
2: I was going to say, there was was half, half, pretty much all of one team, and Half the rest of the paddock wasn't it?
3: Yes, nearly all of uh, McLaren, and uh, a significant number of uh, every other team.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I heard the <laughs> quite. Apparently, they, they reckoned that it was the the middle block of the toilets. Uh, it's a, a, a three-block. Yes. It. Yeah, the front middle. It's the middle block. Hence, it's the midfield that got affected so badly by it. That was where the infection was. <laughs> That's where the top team and the bottom team didn't get it. But it was a particular toilet block, um, which actually takes you back to a completely unrelated story it's about Portimao. Portimao only got two plugs for the entire... Um, or used to have it, but it was opening two plugs for the entire the paddock. So half the paddock would have no power and the other half have no power. But here we go. Slightly different from food poisoning, but a similar thing.
3: What is Nico Hulkenberg looking forward to Austin? Because
4: um, he can
2: he can go to that fabulous restaurant that we go to, which I think is called Stevie V's or something. V's, uh, or oh no, hot, no, there's In N Outs in Texas, there's In N Outs in Austin, yes.
3: Remember, well, he's a professional athlete, John.
2: Well, that's fine, you can have it protein style, same as I do double, double protein style, extra onions.
4: Fine,
3: uh, the correct answer, as you came very close, was steak and burgers. Yeah,
4: there you go. Well, are, you see. He likes a bit. He likes, yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah, he's, he hasn't got a driver next year. He's got nowhere. Else. He, he's, he, who's going to pay for his bacon burgers next year? Where is he going to find gainful employment? All the other series of. It's an interesting point, actually, about this is that Nico Hogenberg is a very, very, very good driver and a Le Mans champion. And he is likely to be out of driving F1. The F1 season finishes so late, Formula E has already started. And the other place you might go, WEC, is running a hard, you know, across across December season. So where do you go when you tell you fall out at the end?
3: Mm. Uh, Let's yeah. uh, move <laughs> on then, uh, because it was the final round uh, of the Porsche Super Cup in Mexico. It was. Four drivers could have won the title going into the weekend. Oh, uh, only yes. one of them did. That was Mikhail Amemula, But Yeah, go on. Which makes him the most successful Porsche Super Cup driver of all time. Beating. No.
4: No. It's not been
3: Patrick. Nick's Patrick,
4: friend Patrick, yes. Oh, well, now not so fantastic. for me. Patrick, now
2: not quite as fantastic then.
4: He'll always be the champion to me, especially after his difficult qualifying, where he's been quite
2: bad. (laughs) That's quite a remarkable stat, Tim, because Ammermuller um, was, until the first of his um, championships, the guy who'd done the most Super Cup races without winning. A championship and then he's had three on the bounce now hasn't he?
3: Uh, four hasn't he? Uh,
2: uh, remarkable I mean he, he and, and that has and it's not as if he's just got his head around one particular car because that has straddled a couple of different iterations of the, the Super Cup car. Um, he's with a good team and he clearly knows which way is up and you know Super Cup's very very difficult and very very competitive in fairness it was um, now which was the weekend was it Monza where the chap who was leading the championship early on had the complete nightwear and threw the championship away yes it was I think it was I watched a bit of it this year I, I've en- I enjoy- I've always enjoyed Porsche Cup races um, and, and I think it's been a good season and muller was there to pick up the pieces to be honest
3: uh, let's move on. Okay. And uh, we are going mm. to do this one. Noticias en Espanol.
0: For midweek motorsport. Interesting.
3: Yes, that's not the version of the I was expecting. Clearly
2: not, yes. <laughs> I'll do it for you. That was an old one. Go on. La Funda like for
3: Argentina. Mm hmm nueva categoría para la formación de jóvenes pilotos fue presentada de cara a su primera carrera que tendrá lugar el 18 y uh, 19 de octubre en Buenos Aires. All right,
4: cool, Nick. Just, uh, just running out through my, uh, well, it's quite interesting, really, because it's uh, as, as we can obviously tell that it is all about um, a, a, a event in in Buenos Aires, uh, in. Argentina, um, but it's 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 the interesting thing about it is it's actually to do with um, it's American importing as I hope you've heard it, tender Luger. They're combining barbecuing and shooting oh, to yeah. the favourite sports of the Americans. Uh, and, so they're tenderise something and they hit it with the Luger.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> what a uh, uh, World War Two era uh, semi-automatic pistol. Uh, from quite a few brought over
4: by people in the uh, in the forties to Argentina.
2: Right. well, Gina. yes,
4: yes. Um, so the,
2: so the story <laughs> is cool. that, actually, And apparently... That, that's true. Uh, uh, and apparently um, it's going to be covered on uh, on the internet and the F4, obviously, is... Uh, F4 is for you to, uh, to turn your brightness down, isn't it? So you don't need to have it too bright because there's going to be plenty going on with the flashes and everything, apparently.
3: This was to have a tenido in mayo, passato... Su estreno en la pista con el reconocido piloto argentino Matías Rossi, al volante el Hotel Sheraton uh, fue el escenario este miércoles para la presentación formal de la nueva categoría.
4: Well, this is you know they've kind of gone more into details I think there of the uh, of the, the the food part of it mm. rather than the shooting part. There's yep. there's plenty of mayo. And uh, interestingly for um, Argentine, they've gone with a Portuguese wine with the Matias Rosé. You know, it's coming in its its, its uniquely shaped bottle that in the 1970s gave birth to so many lamps, didn't it, uh, after they were used. Yeah, and
2: also Uh, passata, which is um, tomato uh, puree. Mm.
4: Very nice. So they're they're, they're building up the barbecue element of it with with the condiments mainly, aren't they? And the uh, the sun so I'm expecting some news either now on the main meet or possibly on firearms. Mm-hmm.
3: Creo en el futuro y hemos puesto todo el esfuerzo en un proyecto a muy largo plazo en el que los jóvenes pilotos no solamente pueden conducir un auto de primer nivel mundial. All oh,
4: right,
3: okay.
8: John?
2: Uh, I was going to give that one to you. Um, well, uh, obviously, what they're bringing in there is uh, an old Ferrari, a Mondial, obviously there. Um, mm-hmm. So yep. that you know, they're trying to get the automotive side of people interested uh, as well. I definitely pick that up there.
4: Yeah, I mean it's, it's interesting about the Mondial because it's it, there's also some some. some, some Maho, you know, placo. Now the only mm-hmm. thing I, I, I know, I mistranslating this, but I'm now thinking perhaps some elements of dentistry in there as well, which is uh. which is strange. Whether perhaps they're going to make the meat particularly tough as a kind of a as a kind of a challenge. Um, but you know the information is really not as, as deep as I was hoping. Mm. L twenty seven,
3: e twenty eight de este mes la F for Argentina Chivara. Adelante un pruebo de pneumaticos en el autodromo de Concepción de Uruguay, provincia de Entre Ríos, antes de tener su primera ronda el fenda de semana del 18 y 19 de octubre en el autodromo de Buenos Aires, donde el 23 de november uh, se disputara además la segunda fecha de la categoria.
4: Ah, obviously. First thing I'd like to say is really what interesting is that the, uh, the Spanish numbers are exactly the same as ours. Yeah, amazing, well, isn't it? Always
2: have been, mate. Have you not realised that?
4: <laughs> well, I've, I've now realised what the whole thing is, and 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 it's uh, an interesting situation. It's completely different. From what we I, I actually realised this is actually not uh, a shooting party, but it's a welcome party. Ah. The welcome party from a number of people from Uruguay, and what they're doing is they're getting together, and they're going to have a conception. So it's a basically a massive big party for a dating thing between Buenos Aires and the Uruguayans, where you have a barbecue, you have a Ferrari, you have some guns—all the things that the people who live in the, mm. the plains of Argentina and the foothills of Uruguay love the most. So it's really kind of a meet, greet, get together, and get pregnant with your South American chums. Okay,
2: and that's news in Spanish.
3: Should we do some bikes?
4: Yes, probably.
3: Oh, and- <laughs> Uh, World Superbikes uh, was in the Middle East at the weekend, Nick.
4: It was, and um, yes, it was won by, well, three races, and they were won by Mr. J. Ray, Mr. J. Ray, and Mr. J. Ray. So he ended up with 17 wins at the end of the season. One uh, more, on the championship by- but only one than, more win uh,
2: than Alvaro Bautista, who was, as we've kept seeing, um... He had 16, and he was 80, 90 points ahead uh, when the first went to Italy and ended up losing by, what, 135 points or something like that?
4: Yeah, 165 points. <sighs> it's the person who the word implosion was written for. Uh, Alex Lowe's picked up third, um, and Alex will, of course, be partnering Johnny Ray on the works Karatakis next year. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it always looks nice, the racing in Qatar. In Qatar, yes. sorry. Um, you know, and the lights... Um, but it was pretty much, you could see that everyone was pretty much end of season because it was like, oh, come you knock yourself out, mate, win three more races, it's fine. Uh, and we'll all move on. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it, yeah, it's a, an oft used term, but one of the most remarkable seasons ever um, of any sort of motorsport. The sun be so far behind and so far outclassed to. Win by so far. It, it's the
2: sort of season that if it was made into a feature film, people would say that could never possibly happen. And go back to the weekend. Um, I thought Chaz Davis had a good run um, as well. He, he had bad qualifying, didn't he? So he had to come through. Uh, he did a pretty good job.
4: Um be Ch- I think. I think that's a, that's a good point, John. I think what happened. Chaz didn't really get on with the V4 for, at the start of the season. It was going so well, um, which is a bit unfortunate. Um, but of course, he's now going to be partnering Scott Redding, who won the British Superbikes uh, last week, uh, in the team for next year. So it be interesting. that would be interesting what happens. Um, so he basically got four Brits in the in the top four uh, drives or rides, should I say? Which is exactly what um, uh, Dorna didn't want. But what have, have? you seen how Dorna retaliated to all the Brits in the top the top rides. <laughs> what? They've got another race in, in Spain. There are now three World superbike <laughs> races in Spain to go with 112. Uh, it, basically, what's happened is they've gone, right, you British people keep winning. Well, damn you. What we're going to do is have more races in Spain. And if you win again, Jonathan, we're going to have one in Valencia. And if you win again, we're going to have one in Mercia. And eventually we'll have 13 races in Spain until you stop damn winning.
3: Where, whereabouts in Spain is this one?
4: Well, it is Spain still, but it's Catalonia, Barcelona.
3: It's the first time i have ever been uh, there.
4: Well, super yeah, bikes. It's I, I, yes. I wow. Yeah, apparently they're, they're looking, they haven't got the calendar out yet, but apparently it seems most likely they're going to drop uh, Berenham for calendar reasons because motor GPs nicked their slot apparently.
0: Right.
4: Uh, um, and they say they're not going to go back to Laguna Seca either, which is a pity because Laguna is a great bike track.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, what, you... what time of year is that then, Nick? Because that could be that could be a road trip for us. You know, that's a good bike ride down there, mate.
4: I should I haven't written the date out yet, so I don't know. Right. Okay. We need to do
2: we need to do a World Superbike or a MotoGP in Europe on the bikes next season. We've been seeing it year after year. We haven't even got to a British Superbike round, but we've we've got to do it. We've got to do more bike riding next year.
4: Yes, you, well, you just give up a couple of events, John. We're fine then.
2: <laughs> I've not worked for three straight weekends. Oh, I've been no. sitting with my feet up.
3: <laughs> uh, you mentioned Scott Redding there, Nick. Yeah, we
2: did. Yes?
3: Who else is moving from British Superbikes to World Superbikes next year?
4: Oh, oh, you've got me there. And on, let me just have a quick shift With
3: Kawasaki.
4: Uh, with Kawasaki. Um, I don't know who is it. Sorry, I
3: missed this one. This would be uh, Shabby Flores. I nearly said Flores. Flores, uh. okay.
4: Mm-hmm. Not Jerry Torres. Flores, okay. Uh, the 34-year-old
3: has already done 91 World Tour bike races. Moved to British Championship this year, and is now moving back again because he did had no success whatsoever in uh, the UK.
4: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's slightly more difficult when people thinking you're British Superbytes, if you've not run in British tracks. Because, you know, you're, you're fine at Donington, but the rest of the tracks you won't ever have seen. And I don't think Cabwell Park is particularly similar to, to Sepang, do you?
3: No. No. So, Donington Park a bit similar to Sepang.
4: Not temperature-wise. Not They're
3: temperature-wise. Both- Nothing's like like Sepang temperature-wise. Singapore. Boualem, fair enough. Uh, what isn't changing in World Superbike for the next three years?
2: The format, the tyres, the tyres, and
4: the tyres.
3: Uh, Pirelli has extended so, his contract for another three seasons.
4: Uh, well, I'm not surprised that, that no one moans about them. So that it's quite a nice, a nice relaxed. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, they're very nice tyres. Thank you very much. What I've not heard anyone complain about the tyres. Um has, uh
2: all right, no, carry on.
3: Uh, anything else you want to talk about in bikes before we move on?
2: Oh, yes, lots. Um,
4: top rack, Raz Gothelio. Excellent. Slightly, slightly mangled the last syllable, aren't I? I'm not even trying. Um,
2: <laughs> why is he not going to the factory Kawasaki? He's off to Yamaha.
4: Because he fell out with the after he's Suzuka eight hours. Mm. He wouldn't let him ride. It yeah. was, uh, and Leon had that. Johnny Ray and Top Rack. Top Rack didn't get hardly any time. because no, they. I watched that. It was very odd. And, uh, well, I think it's pretty obvious. They felt that, that they wanted to win. It was quite close, and therefore they needed to put their best guys in. And they haven't got a situation as you're doing, um, you know, it's a one-off. So you haven't got to worry about a championship and people scoring points. So you just go, we'll, we'll keep rotating around. I've, yeah, it is very odd because Top Rack's not exactly not fast over a set, over a stint so either concerned about his ability to stay on the bike or something else happening we didn't know about going to Yamaha
2: instead, Scott Redding on the Panigale uh, and a proper effort by HRC as well, this is all coming to me via Declan by the way
4: yeah I mean the, the HRC are, are there's a new fire blade coming out uh, I think a road based fireblade I believe coming out at the for show uh, next week I think it is in in, uh, in Germany so, they, they are going to start trying, um, and they have signed up. Um, uh, Bautista, to lead the team, and I should know is the, other, the other rider, I've completely forgotten. Uh,
2: yes, Bautista, that's right, he's uh, going across.
4: Um,
3: do you have a bit of uh, bike news of a very different sort? Oh, Although we st- they are super bikes. Bike. Uh, on uh, the Isle of Man TT yep. uh, has a lot of format changes for 2020. Yes, it does.
4: Dropped the e bikes, haven't they? Yeah. They have uh, for two
3: years. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, they're now proposing that every race day they will start with a practice session in the morning.
4: Hmm. Right. Uh,
3: Friday evening's uh, practice session will be moved to Friday afternoon. Right. And the Saturday evening uh, practice session will move to Sunday afternoon.
2: Ah, interesting.
3: Uh, this is designed to allow optimal uh, track conditions for qualifying. Right. Mm.
4: Okay.
2: So basically clean off the track a little bit. Uh, well,
4: Thirty-seven miles, guys.
2: Uh Hello to Michael Hetherington, Mickey Heath. Sorry, sorry for the late EFA, I'll be podcasting. I'm at silly o'clock tomorrow morning. Work silly o'clock tomorrow morning. Um... And uh, before we leave bikes, Mortal GP, Philip Island, um, too much wind. Well,
4: that does happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they, they called off um, qualify, didn't they? Yeah, on the, they on Saturday. Did. It was blowing with blue. Did it blow up the blue? Um, was it Loris Baz it blew off, was it? Yes. Um, yeah. Got blown off the track. Yeah, and then basically what happened was um, uh, Maverick Vinay's disappeared, went off and was just tracked by Mark Marquez who, but in the last battle, also made him fall off. So very much um, shades of the finish, but now and Rossi was not
2: I thought it was a great way I, I thoroughly enjoyed it all. Uh, a couple of subs that did all right, I thought. One in particular. Well,
4: Zarko did well, because I, mean, did I, I didn't realise well. this, because I didn't actually, I only kind of skimmed it. And I read this today that he was 42 seconds ahead of Jorge Lorenzo. Yep. So Lorenzo is, I don't, I don't even know what Lorenzo I mean, he's collecting a lovely check every week. But apart from that, um, I don't know what he's doing. He's just shooting his reputation afoot. Um Whether he actually wants to be so badly fired and he gets to have a year off with the cash, I don't know. Uh,
2: honestly, uh, I don't know. Um, Phillip Island is still one of those great places that I absolutely want to go to. Um, the weather is uh, always difficult, uh, always difficult uh, down there. But I thought the racing was stunning. Um, I I know you don't watch the other categories, but Declan and I were swapping a few tweets over the weekend. Uh, and the thought of Brad Binder on a MotoGP bike next year—next year he was—he's been stunning in Moto2, and he—one of the greatest things you can do on a MotoGP weekend is watch Moto2 for Brad Binder on that bike. He is absolutely unbelievable, and Dex and I have already decided he's going to be the most entertaining person next year in MotoGP. Um, but he'll never get a tyre to net, particularly a rear tyre, he'll never get the last of full Mortal GP length. Uh, Moto 3 was great as well, exactly as we expect. Uh, Moto 3, t- uh, did the title go in? Moto 2? I th- not Moto, uh, uh, Moto 3, it went, I think. Um, Moto 2 is still open, um, that's the closest one actually um alex marquez had a bit of a, a nightmare didn't he finished halfway down the, the top 10 it could have been worse he was down in 11th at one stage um so that one still has something to play for in the next round one more bike story before we let nick go
3: yes for our listeners down under uh the calendar's <laughs> been announced for the australian superbike championship it uh starts Ooh. at philip island supporting world superbikes mm-hmm. uh, it ends at philip island uh 10 months later and in between they go to wakeful park they go to the bend which i believe is new next year uh they go to Barber- do they go at the bend they go there on may the 7th and 8th and 9th and 10th in fact okay cool. four, four day race weekend uh, there
2: i tell you what if if that is uh, i mean there's some big distances in australia stria um but uh if you can get to the bend at any stage next year. They've got some really, really good dates. They've got the Asian Le Mans series mm. in January. Unfortunately, they, that clash, clashes with us being in Dubai for the 24 hours. Um, super bikes there. They've got some really good stuff going on there. That's a new circuit, newish circuit. Uh, and they are really invested in getting that place built up. So go and support it if you live within a decent amount of uh, a day's drive. Two or three days, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, shall shall we could say bid a fond farewell to
4: Nick Dearman? Farewell, a fond farewell. Oh, good. I'm sorry.
3: I, I'd, I'd like Nick for our next piece because uh, ah. uh, we're doing a bit of culture now. All right, you you promised ah. this. A little bit of music to lead into our next story. Right. Stop me when you think you've uh, spotted the motorsport connection.
2: Italian Grand Prix?
3: Gaetano Donizetti's charming comic opera, The Elixir of Love, returns to the stage in a new production by the Indianapolis Opera, directed by Scott Parry and conducted by Alfred Savia. Tells the story of the penniless and lovelorn Nemorino, played by renowned tenor Jesus Garcia, and his attempts to woo well to do Adina, played by soprano Ashley Fabian
4: believes someone, he... some, some racist girlfriend?
3: No. Nemarino believes he's found the key to Adina's heart when he hears the elixir of love being peddled by travelling salesman Dr. Dolcomara, played by the Metropolitan Opera's Gary Simpson, and his assistant Mario, played by Zach Veach.
2: Oh, that's really? Zach
3: Veach. That's Zach Veach. Norway. Yes. The driver. The racing driver, rock climber, author and environmental activist... And now, opera or Is
4: it a non non singing part?
3: Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I would love to
2: see him do all of those things at the same time. Now, that I would pay money for. What did you say? Race and driver, author, environmental activist,
3: and rock climber.
2: Rock climber and opera singer.
3: And opera star, yes. I'll
2: take any. In fact, I'll take any. Any three of those at the same time. I think. I think. Particularly if it was opera singing, rock climbing and
4: motorsport. Yes. Is he like, is it like, I mean, I I now need to know, because doing an opera singer is not something you can just vamp. You need to be actually really good. Yes. Is he really good? Is it like a non-singing part, like a comedy part or something, you
3: know? I mean, it's a comedy opera. Because the elixir of love is really just a cheap bordeaux and...
2: Oh, you've spoiled it now. Spoilers. Oh, but Spoilers.
4: Funny it's things me. ensue. To see it.
3: Uh, it opens on November the fifteenth. Tickets are now available, starting at thirty-five dollars.
4: That's not bad, rockra Which isn't
3: bad at How long all. Is it limited season. Is uh, it
4: limited it's, season? Uh, it's only
3: on for three nights, so you do have to. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was wondering whether Shay Adam had uh, any uh, further information on this.
8: Good evening, Shai I'm Adam. as stunned as you are. Hello, guys. <laughs> Hello.
2: You're stunned, you're stunned into silence in Fort Lauderdale, are you?
8: I'm, I'm sort of wondering how that sort of a voice would come from Zach, because I knew him before he started working out as much, and he didn't have a deep voice at all. He would definitely be able to hit the high notes.
3: Alto rather than tenor.
4: Yes. You, are you inferring something in his workout regime as deep as his voice?
8: He's put on about 30 pounds of muscle, Nick, to make himself still the smallest driver in IndyCar, but uh, not as small as Danic Patrick once was.
4: Yeah, but, but yeah, but now he sounds like Ricardo Maurizio. And as Tim and I, I both know, Ricardo Maurizio was very much, um, what's the word for it, artificially enhanced. <laughs> <laughs> well, put, I'll, I'll he, be... was five, he was five foot one in two directions. <laughs> really? Oh, jeez.
2: Yeah. It is time to demonstrate the power of the station. Um, okay. (laughs) Is that it for Nick? Uh,
3: That's it for Nick, yes. Because he won't want to talk (laughs) about the World Rally Championship, which is coming up in the second hour, along with so much else.
0: Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour.
2: Well, Tim's taken some of stolen, some of my thunder, to be quite honest. At more of your tweets, please, like this from Dave Alcott. Uh, Elixir of Love thought that was high-octane as you fuel the night-run methane. Now, that's the kind of thinking we like here. i Spec, expect you, Adam, you've heard from her a, a little already. She'll be back in the second half of tonight's programme looking at the US motorsports uh, scene uh, with some NASCAR updates from the playoffs. We'll be talking a bit of IndyCar and some IMSA driver news. But next, it's the big interview, and we've taken it on the road, sort of like the Radio 1 roadshow used to, but not at Ooh, all. Oh, to be honest, Yes, but not at all. We, there's no smiley-miley in this one. <laughs> That's all of Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, Episode 42.
0: Midweek Motorsport on radiolamon.com.
2: Well, for the big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport, I've come just down the A43 to the home of the British Grand Prix and the home of the Walter Hayes Trophy this weekend, more importantly for this interview. Yes, we're at Silverstone, the Walter Hayes Trophy as I walk into the garage with a bit of work being done on the Formula Fords in here. Uh, It's one of two huge Formula Ford events that goes on. Uh, at this time of year, the Formula Ford Festival at Brands Hatch was last week. Uh, and this weekend, as I say, we're at Silverstone on the national circuit. Now, the reason I'm here is it's traditional at this time of year to speak to the Team USA scholarship candidates. Guys, as they're getting busy, let's walk outside again. I brought them in here to try and keep them warm because I bet that's one thing they're not used to here. Uh, first of all, introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Josh Green. And? Scott Huffaker. Right, Scott, let's start, start with you. Welcome to the United Kingdom. Uh, the cold will probably have
1: got yeah. to you straight away. Racing last weekend at Brands Hatch. Um, first of all, how did it get on? Uh, it went well. Uh, we had a pretty good qualifying. I was working with Peter Dempsey in the qualifying because we were in the third session, and uh, we worked together to push ourselves up to the front. Um, I had a pretty bad heat, but I recovered in the semi and then... The final was kind of anticlimactic. Uh, we had a kind of a bad restart because there was a safety car really early, and uh, we dropped like three seconds back from the pack right at the start. Spent the whole race catching them, and then right at the end of the race we caught them. So it was like uh, you needed
2: another five, six laps then.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but we were fast. I think we had the fourth fastest lap time, but ended up ninth and tenth. But um, so I mean, we we had quick quick pace, but I mean you know obviously if we could redo it it would probably go better but um i think it's just getting used to it um the racing over here and everything
9: so yeah
2: i'll come back to that in a moment josh what was your uh, thoughts about last weekend at of brand's hatch
9: it started off as good as it really could i mean we qualified up front uh, my heat race in the wet was really good tons of fun racing against jerry foster which is awesome um done
2: much in the wet before now
9: uh, not a huge amount. In the U.S., we run natural slicks, so it's a natural wet tire. Uh, so this is my first time running on, in, on non-natural wets in the yes. wet. Um, but we were really quick, and I, I guess I have done quite a bit of running because this season's been a lot in the wet in the U.S. So, yeah, and, and that was really good for us. And then uh, my semifinal, I got caught out a bit by an accident early in the, in the session where I had to sort of avoid and go to the outside, and I lost a bunch of positions. So I started a bit further down than I would have liked to in the final. Um, and again, as Scott said, I was kind of stuck in no man's land. I mean, I, after the restart, I passed the four cars ahead of me, got up to 10th. And then, I mean, we were both sort of, we were three seconds apart. He was three seconds in the cars ahead. He caught them (laughs) and I was then three seconds away from the cars ahead. So we were just sort of driving around on our own for most of the race. Uh, difficult to keep your concentration and keep your motivation in those circumstances,
2: but Brands Hatch, what a circuit. The Indy Circuit, always busy. Alright, you get a little bit of a break down that front straight, but charging into Paddock Hill Bend under racing conditions, that's something special, isn't it?
9: Yeah, I mean the amount of defending that is sort of known for in the festival is pretty crazy because um, everyone comes out. Yeah, up- you call that blocking in the States, don't you? Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah But so we I mean you come off a Paddock Hill Bend and everyone just goes straight off of the kerbs straight to the white line on the inside yeah. um, and I mean the biggest thing about overtaking there is you have to always fake everyone out mm-hmm. go fake one side go the other and I mean because everyone's going to defend every lap and you have to sort of it makes everything feel more special because when you do make an overtake there's that much more work needed to get, to get it done um, and I think brands is really special for that. It's really well known for that because the track's its tight, short nature um, creates a lot of racing. But the racing is super, duper close all the time.
2: Any small mistake is really punished, isn't it? I've raced there quite. A, I raced a pickup truck around there most <laughs> most recently. That was a couple of years ago. But it's great fun, isn't it?
9: Yeah, no, it's awesome, and I really can't wait to race here because it's, it's a complete opposite. Super long straightaways. Uh, Huge amounts of draft. I mean, the racing is going to be super close, but for a completely different reason.
2: And very wide track as well here, many different lines available. Scott, if I can take you back to the selection process for Team USA scholarship. Jeremy took an inordinately long time to choose this year. And as you know, Jeremy and I work together on IMSA Radio. And I kept asking him, have you got a result yet? Oh, no, no, I haven't. He really, really struggled this year to pick you two out because of the quality of the the potential candidates for this year did you feel that when you were going through the process and what was the camaraderie like when you were going through the selection process
1: yeah so we um, we didn't hear much when it was the top I think it was nine nine or ten um, we just got I went to Ohio, Ohio mid-Ohio for the IndyCar race um, he didn't it was just more of a thing of like come hang out yeah. and I think about four or five of us did um, and then we just hung out, got some connections, and then we just heard back from him and saying, you're going to the shootout. And then once we got to the shootout, it was uh, really competitive. Which was at Road America, yeah. on the short course at yeah. Road America that I thought only existed on Forza,
2: to yeah. be honest. But it's yeah. real, and it's a great, great configuration of the circuit because it has a bit of everything.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, and it, w- it was cool. The, the two corners that are like added on were a little bit tricky because they're not traditional racing yes. corners. Um, so it was more like a street course or, uh, yes. you know, autocross kind of. So, <laughs> but, the, but the rest of the track was really cool. Um, and honestly, those corners were kind of fun in their own right. But uh, Super wide coming into that first right-hander where you come off. It's the
2: penultimate left-hander, isn't it, that, where the bridge used to be. And then you turn right there. There's a short straight. And then you turn right again and go up under the bridge.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's in, but... The, it's wide and then it tightens really yeah. like quick on the exit so it was like the fast line was to be half off in the grass so, you, <laughs> so you'd come out and we, we did it so much it actually you started to build traction out of there so it was <laughs> like a, you wore the grass down in, yeah. in a submission well congratulations both of you
2: on getting through and being selected for Team USA in 2019 uh, you follow a phenomenal set of alumni down through the years and I know that you guys wouldn't be here if you didn't appreciate that because Jeremy picks uh, not just on ability but also on attitude. In some ways, though, does that add a little bit of pressure to you guys coming abroad, racing in on new tracks? Pressure enough, but then you've got this fantastic history behind you as well.
9: Uh, I think in a way, yes, but in another way, it. it almost makes you feel better because it's like i mean you're already added to that list it's not going to change once you've been picked you're picked and it's i mean extremely thankful and you have to be thankful because it is an a huge opportunity that i mean i'd never have the chance to come over and race in europe so i have to be hugely thankful to jeremy shaw on the team usa scholarship but um yeah i mean you're already added to that list and you see that list of people and you, you think to yourself like am i really that good and most of the times it's like it's not, you don't think of yourself as that good. You think of yourself as, I'm on this list. I have to represent it. You want to be that good. And I think every race car driver is striving to be that good. And we're here, and I mean, Cliff works with us. James Theodore, our driver coach, works with us. So we can sort of be on that level. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've had Johnny Brown here, um, who uh, subsequently won the festival and was stupidly quick at almost every track we've been to. <laughs> um, we always get the data to look off of him. And it's it's been hugely helpful with just the team because we have all the data from past times. Uh, which allows us to be a lot quicker than we maybe previously would be.
2: It's not just about the racing, though, Scott, because there's always things going on in the background, a bit of extracurricular activities, which I know you've been indulging in. What have you enjoyed so far? A little bit of a different culture over here. It's often said that we're two nations divided by a single language. We drive on the proper side of the road, of course, here, uh, as, as well, as God intended. Um, and uh, first Model T had the steering wheel on the right, just to remind you. <laughs> what, what have you enjoyed and what have you found perhaps surprising about coming over
1: to the UK? Yeah, well, so it's actually a dream of mine specifically to come to England. Uh, That was where I wanted to come to the most, and I've never been to Europe. So this is the second time out of the country. Um, First was Canada, so not too far. But, um, yeah, it's been uh, really cool. The food, um, Michelle's cooking has been really good, uh, i got to say. she's been Last Michelle morning. Dempsey who's been looking after you along with Cliff yes and you better make sure you do what she tells yeah, you yeah we, we have been good um, and then, we, then we've gotten to just do a lot of tours of um, you know different race teams manufacturers engine builders and stuff we did Ilmore McLaren um, then this is actually the first year we flew to Italy um, and we got to go to Lamborghini Delara um and then on our way home sucks
2: being st- you two doesn't yeah. it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's been awesome it re- it's really been cool um and then just for fun on the way back to the airport we stopped by Maranello. so
2: and why would you not because you weren't <laughs> that far far away what have what have you enjoyed ross and, and what have you found surprising perhaps about your your visit here?
9: i think i mean just about the visit specifically the the factory visits mclaren was probably the most surprising just seeing how big a race team really can be because a lot of the time. How
2: clean it is and how everything's lined up and all the screws point in the same direction and you can only take one tool out at a time. It's extraordinary how they work there, isn't it?
9: They're extremely meticulous and it's it's interesting. I mean they, they told us they polish the floors not to make it look pretty, but so when oil or something gets on the floor you clean that before you keep on working. Yeah. So I mean they're they're extremely meticulous with the way they do everything and I mean we usually think of a race team as twenty, twenty five guys working to one goal, but I mean it's a seven hundred person team. So it's it's insane. And still looks like something out of a James Bond villain, yeah. doesn't it? It looks like there should be some evil mastermind
2: at the head of it when you pull up to the technology centre. It's an extraordinary building as well.
9: It is, yeah. I mean, the building is so space-age, especially to have been built in 2004. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. Ten
2: years in the design
1: before that. So did you come in underground, or did you come in through the, the, the main entrance? We, we came in through the lake, so yes. like around the lake it, and stuff, and it was cool. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And There's something that's specifically unique on the day that we were there. Um, we, we, we finished our tour and we came out and there's this like very serious looking guy um with this really cute dog and um he was like security and the dog's just like playing in the field and stuff and the lady came out um who did our tour and she was like yeah that's actually an employee here and we're like what and so they have a helicopter pad and um the geese mess around there and so they had a hawk that would try and scare it but they weren't scared of the hawk but they're scared of this cute dog that just runs around <laughs> playing and his name's Clive. So uh. Clive the dog. Yeah. He's, he's the McLaren
2: Technology Center heli- helicopter pre- pre- uh, preserving jo- dog. Yeah. Okay, Brilliant stuff. Let's talk about um, before we talk about this weekend, let's talk about your futures. Um, obviously, crack and weight end, some good racing for both of you. Uh, and, Scott, what, what are you looking for in the future then? Traditional single-seater, going through the formula back in the States, getting into something slicks and wings, then IndyCar, or something else?
1: Um, I guess wherever uh, the doors open. Um, good on you. So, yeah. Um, right now, I'm racing LMP3 and the imza Prototype Challenge. So, I mean... I think sports cars is kind of the direction I'm on. Um, A few years ago, lads your age wouldn't have said that. They would have been absolute, And that's why I asked you that question,
2: knowing knowing you as I do. What's changed? And what has made the difference then for you as a young man in the early stages of his motorsport career to consider sports cars rather than being laser-focused on single-seaters?
1: I think it's mainly because everyone's focused on single-seaters. So... um maybe had a new direction. And I've always had a love for sports cars. I, I don't know, the racing is always just so good. And I, I don't know, I just, the traditional looking cars, I, something about them that are just, the racing I think is just awesome to watch them. Um, like so we're we going to
2: see you at Le Mans or at Sebring
1: or a Daytona for the Rolex in the next few years. Is that is that the plan? Yeah, I mean, I would love that. Uh, but I mean, I'd also love to run the Indy 500. So I mean, I just love to race. So uh, wherever it takes me, I guess. You
2: get a lot more crossover now in terms of what people are doing for their, for their career, where are you going to be, hopefully, in five, six years?
9: Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm a bit more traditional, but, again, as Scott said, I just love to race, and, I mean, the goal is just to make racing a career, so wherever the door is open, wherever to make it possible so I can race for my whole life, that, that is the goal. Uh, but currently, my path is I, I ran Formula 1600 in the U.S. this year with Team Palfrey, uh, and I'm hoping to move into USF next year and run that series. Um, yeah, and we've just been sort of looking... Which is on
2: the real up again, USF 2000, yeah. isn't it? Yeah,
9: uh, there's... I mean, USF and, and Indy Pro 2000, they both have really big grids for this year. Um, Indy Pro struggled last year, but this year they've got a huge grid of, I think, over 20 cars at the Chris Griffiths test, and USF the same, so it's going to be really competitive, and I'm I'm really excited to start testing when I get back.
2: There's been a real upturn in the amount of young American road racing drivers who are staying in the States and looking to Korea in Indy cars, ultimately. Um, and I don't think you can underestimate the good work that's been done over the last few years by what is now the just the um, road to Indy, what was the Mazda road to Indy. Is that what switched you onto it?
9: Uh, I think so. I Rob McGinnis has basically been my almost mentor in my career. I mean, we live very near each other. We were good friends from a very young age uh and he sort of directed me a lot of the ways where i mean he introduced me to team power Free, he's introduced me to a lot of the people i've met in usf um and i mean so he has been a huge sort of director of my path um and i mean he was through the entire road to indy he spent two years in every rung um and he's currently in indy lights with andretti so uh wish him the best of luck this year but anyway um, <laughs> yeah it's like the road to indy obviously it can't not attract you with the with all the tracks they go to, first of all, or following IndyCar weekends, the tracks are absolutely insane. I mean, the I went and did Portland last year and that track was awesome. And it's, it's just such a professional program. Whereas a lot of series that are lower down, they sort of don't have the same TV time. They don't have the same stuff surrounding them that makes it look as professional of a series.
2: I like the idea that there's a, that there's a, a, a proper, as Sir Jackie Stewart called it many years ago, he called it a staircase of talent. And we've not really had that done properly over here in Europe. And Road to Indy, in its recent guises, have done that. There's Road to 24 as well, of course, which Mazda are are still involved with. And I I think that's really good because it helps you guys make some informed decisions rather than going, oh, is this formula over here? I can do that. I can can find the money for that. But is that on the same level as this, and, and where does that go? Is the, you know, it's really confusing, so I, I think that's a good, good point that you've made there about, about the progression. Right, let's talk about this weekend. Very different track from Brands, we've talked about that already, right, Scott. What's it been like? You've been out this morning. Uh, I'm interrupting you and stopping you having your lunch at the moment, so we'll wrap this up in a second. Um, Silverstone, big, wide. Fantastic first corner here as well. Super commitment, but using the short circuit, the national circuit, as I used to call it here. So again, it's quite busy, but you have got that long, 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 long couple of straights.
1: Yeah, I think uh, love the track. I mean, just so much history here. Uh, love Brands too. Uh, just two completely different circuits. I mean, uh, I, it would be tough to say which one you like more. Uh, definitely a more technical track uh, by Brands, um, but this it's really about getting the exit um and so just two different approaches i guess um we we did the morning and um morning practice and we seem fast so uh which is always a good news so we're uh, right on pace with our teammate who won the festival so that's a good benchmark to be at that's uh, a very good benchmark yeah. very good
2: benchmark indeed something to aim at will you be able to race on it here as we said very different in character a lot wider possibly a different style of race in here
9: yeah, it's going to be a lot more like I'm used to at home with just huge, huge draft. Um, the straights are super long, and it's going to make it really hard to break away. I mean, at brands, with the short nature of the track, you can sort of drive away, as Jonathan did. Uh, <laughs> but uh, here, it's really impossible, because even if you're within two-tenths of the driver ahead, if you have their draft, they're not getting away from you. So it it creates really good racing, because they are huge, huge packs. But it does look forecast terrain. Ooh,
2: that'll throw the cat among the pigeons, as we say here. Final question for you, Scott. Um, three pedal cars these of course has that caused you any issues you were you always healing into one before you got into the lmp uh
1: the lmp3 driving yes i was uh, i actually love the the h pattern that's uh, my favorite gearbox I, and especially the Hewland it's so easy yeah. it's it's the easiest h pattern you'll drive yeah. uh, no clutch and just flicks into gear so nice and especially the way cliff has it set up but um, yeah, I actually prefer the traditional box a little bit more than the paddles. So uh, yeah, it's um, they're fun for both. I mean, it'd be definitely very difficult to run an LMP3 with the bo- <laughs> with the box, but I think it'd be very exciting too.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's more mis- potentially more mistake-inducing. So from our point of view, it might make things a little bit more spectacular, guys. Whatever the weather's like this weekend, uh, congratulations on what you've achieved. Good luck for the weekend, and as you rightly said earlier on, Ross. Your Team USA scholars yeah. now, and nobody can take that away from you. Man, have a great weekend!
1: Thank you. Yep. Thank you so much.
2: Well, I had a cracking time with the uh, two guys there, Josh Green and Scott Hovaker, uh, the 2019 Team USA Scholarship uh, alumni. Now, as they said, can't take it from them. They were in fine form. Uh, crack and catch up with the Dempseys as well, uh, Cliff and Michelle. Uh, they're ready for a very busy weekend down there, probably a little bit of rain over the weekend as well, should make things rather interesting, uh, and whilst I was there, Team uh, Team Canada were there as well, and uh, Kelly from Team Canada, who's a big um, Williams F1 fan, was asking me about going to Williams and going down there, and we started talking about the malaise that Williams has got itself into. And we couldn't really work out when that started. So that's something that we are going to explore with Nick Damon uh, in a couple of weeks' time as well. It was
3: 1997.
2: Do you think so? Yeah. What? What? what okay, fair point. What do you think kicked it off?
3: Uh, Jacques Villeneuve.
2: Going or leaving?
3: Just being there. Mm. Mm. Yes. Uh, should we move on to something that Jacques Villeneuve... Well, uh, just,
2: just before you do... Uh Brodie's pointed out, and I did say this in the interview, the National Circuit's not called the National Circuit anymore, is it? What's it called?
3: No, the National Circuit is called the National Circuit. Oh, right, OK,
2: it's not called the National Pits, they're called the Heritage
3: Pits. They're called the Heritage Pits. Right, OK. Oh, okay. And uh, it's the Wellington Strait.
2: And not the National Strait.
3: Because obviously that straight's now used by the Grand Prix Circuit as well.
2: Of course it didn't used to be, you're absolutely right.
3: Sorry, uh, carry on. So... so uh, a previous uh, Team USA uh, scholar was one, Oliver Askew, and today he was one of two drivers announced uh, as an IndyCar driver. Oh, really? Uh, for the... Oh, yes. Arrow McLaren SP... I've missed something out here. Shay, help me out. What's it called?
2: No, hang on, I'm just getting Shay back up now. It's, it is. Uh, the, 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 we were talking about this today, funny enough, at the... Uh, at the track. It's, uh, what is it, here? Arrow McLaren.
8: Arrow McLaren Schmidt no. something. Schmidt-Peterson? Arrow McLaren A-S-S-P. AMP AMSP, I think that's it.
3: Uh, anyway, uh, earlier <laughs> today they announced uh, their two drivers would be Oliver Askew and Patero Ward. And uh, a short time ago, uh, Gilles de Ferren and Sam Schmidt uh, explained why they've chosen those drivers, Let's hear first from uh, Sam Schmidt.
7: And to win the Indy five hundred to win the championship, which uh, which has been my lifelong goal. I know it has been his as well. And so you know with that in light, uh, you can tell by these announcements we're constantly pushing uh, to to win races. And uh, the McLaren Association is is specifically for that. and I think this driver announcements for the long term. Uh, we have long-term partners that are major global, uh, corporations and these two young guns, we feel, are the future of the team. Uh, we've got an amazing, uh, American star in Oliver Askew and his story is, is nothing short of remarkable, uh, working his way to the top. Uh, Pato Award, uh, you know, briefly was able to show his talents, uh, came in car last year. And I think, uh, you know, these two together, um, you know, could be our, our magic combination going forward. So just really proud of that. Proud of what the team's done, what Taylor's done in, uh, uh, in just this recent last six months and, uh, I just really looking forward to the future. So I'll turn that over to Joe.
5: Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, good morning, uh, everyone and, uh, and thank you for, for joining us, uh, as well. Well, yeah, this is, as you say, Sam, it's certainly, uh, very exciting, uh, very exciting news, uh, today. You know, we've uh, been working hard, both uh, with the guys that uh, at Indianapolis uh, since the last race in uh, in Laguna Seca, and um, and uh, with the guys in the UK. You know, putting our our partnership uh, together and making sure that uh, we bring bring our best foot forward uh, into into the partnership. And I, I would say that so far. It's been a very enjoyable experience, uh, certainly uh, for for everyone, you know, getting to know uh, everyone. And I think today it's uh, is yet another step, uh, uh, an important and an exciting step in our our journey uh, together. You know, um, I think as as Sam says, you know, both uh, uh, Oliver and Pato are extremely exciting talents you know they have you know not only won the uh the Indy Lights uh, championship over the past couple of seasons but these are two drivers i think that uh, have uh, proven their worth throughout their careers you know have had a tremendous amount of success um throughout their careers from uh, from karting uh, onwards and uh, and i think we're proud to to have them them both on board and uh, and go through this uh uh, journey together. I wish we could, <laughs> I wish we could hit the track here uh, quite a few more times than, uh, than than what we will do prior to some feet. But uh, I think uh, we're doing a lot of work on the behind the scenes to help with our preparations, uh, both uh, on and off the track. So, made the journey begin. Uh, I think we're all very excited about. it.
3: Uh, Gilles de Ferrand, there talking about uh, the two. McLaren Abo SP Motorsport drivers for 2020 Patero Awards and Oliver Rescue. let's hear from the drivers next.
10: I honestly couldn't be more excited. Um, I think it's very big uh, not just for me but for Oliver Oliver as well. You know we're 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 just starting our journey into the into the professional side of the sport. Um, and it's something we've been working towards, you know, our whole lives. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to the opportunity. I'm very thankful, um, and I think you know there's there's no better team to do it than than with Arrow McLaren SP. I think the guys have just proven that um, you know that that they have what it takes to win races, uh, to challenge for championships. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to you know to what the future could have in store. Um, obviously, it's not it's not easy walking into a championship that you know absolutely nothing about, but um, I think everything everything that I got to do this year and so much change um, and honestly, I mean, it, a driver's career doesn't get more challenging than that so I think more than, it just helped me grow, um, helped me grow as a person, helped me grow as a driver um, and I'm, I think it just helps to, to prepare you for, for future circumstances and future situations, uh, good or bad. Um, so I think it it only helped to to what you know what we can build on next year. Yeah, it's been it's been a
6: whirlwind uh, couple of days here, and it's a, it's honestly a dream come true. I can echo what what Pato has said. Um, and honestly, I, right now I don't I don't have any expectations. Um, you know, we're going to be putting a lot of hard work in in the off season to um, make sure we take advantage of, of the tools that we have here, um, especially with myself as as a pure rookie. Um, only my fourth full season in cars, but I think I'm ready for it with, with the resources that we have here. And um, the personnel, obviously, it's, uh, it's a top-tier team, and, and I'm looking forward to representing um, Aaron McLaren SPM. Um, I feel very fortunate to be in the position we're in now. I mean, this is what I've been working for uh, for my entire career, you know, since I started racing when I was seven years old in go-karts. So it's um, it's a surreal feeling to, to, you know, finally finally be here, but I just I just can't – I. I can't wait to get to to get to work. Um, like Jill said, I think there's, it's going to be too long until, until I'm back in the car. So. Well,
3: Shea Adam uh, rejoins us. Good evening, Shea. Uh, they've announced two drivers. Uh, neither of them is the driver that they already have under contract for next year, James Hinchcliffe. What's happening to him?
8: Uh, That's the big question right now, Tim. They apparently informed James on Sunday that he would no longer be driving for the team as of uh, 2020, that the seats were going to be filled by the young American and the young Mexican that we've just heard from, and that the Canadian would still have his contract honoured in so much that he would continue to receive a paycheck from them, but that he was also free to look for opportunities elsewhere. So for James Hinchcliffe, nightmare situation because, as I said to John a little bit earlier, it's a bit like the musical chair's music stopped a month ago Mm. and he thought he was good in his seat. He thought he was moving on to the next round and all of a sudden his chair sort of disappeared from beneath him.
2: Um, Third car, uh, Rahal letterman Lanigan is the outlet pass, apparently, for for Hinch.
8: Yeah, so he declared allegiance to the team when they said that this was going to be going on when when they announced that it would be a manufacturer switch to Chevrolet and Hinge said look I'm, I'm sticking with the team he never broke up with Honda really but it was an interesting move to choose the team over the people who have been funding him for such a long time so I'm not entirely sure if the Honda ties are strong enough to where they will place him with another team. There's not really anybody willing to run another car. I mean, Andre, his former team, they already have five cars. Running six every weekend is definitely a stretch. There's a possibility of Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan running a third car, but they've also publicly said in the past that they're not interested in doing that full season because. They, remember, not very long ago, stepped up from a one-car team to a two-car team. Yeah. And they do run a third car at the Indy 500. So they're capable of doing it. But whether or not they would be lured into that is something we have to keep our eyes on.
2: Um, other than that, as you say, the merry-go-round stopped some time ago. I always thought it was odd that uh, Honda ambassador, Honda um, Canada ambassador, was stick in with a, a team that was going to uh, GM. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the team, however, are keeping a seat open for another driver.
8: They have said uh, today, as a matter of fact, on Twitter not very long ago, that when he's ready to come back, there is still a seat for Robert Wickens. So, a little bit of tension remains there because, of course, Robbie was brought into the team by James, so yeah that it definitely does get categorized under awkward
1: mm.
2: um the um so unless somebody else is going to put up another car of course rll piers phillips uh good friend to this show uh, who is the president of racing operations for rare let and is uh what worked with Hinch at spm when he was there for a what, a season and a half, a couple of seasons, in one of the reorganisations that Sam has been having recently. So he knows him. Uh, there's a lot of respect, I think, both ways there. So uh, with a bit of Honda input in terms of putting some finance into that to keep one of their... Cause, I mean, he's a fabulous ambassador, and not having a race seat would rather undermine that. So Honda are probably likely to do something to, to help them get a drive.
8: That is assuming the big uh, thing that we hit on earlier, which is assuming that Hinch choosing the team over his loyalty to Honda doesn't come back into play and maybe bite him in some form or fashion. Mm. I can't see that being an issue because Hinch has been such a great uh, ambassador and quite frankly warrior for the Honda organization. I mean, he's won with a couple different teams and he's in their commercials nationwide in the U.S. and in Canada He's a bit of a figure. The other thing that he could consider that I know he'll be going at kicking and screaming with hands tied behind his back, he's also a very good talker. So this could be an opportunity for James to transition into a television role Mm. in a situation where he becomes almost like a Tony Romo, still young, still with it, still very much in touch with the cars and the technology as Tony Romo is with uh, NFL football He knows how to call the plays at the line before they actually happen for TV. It could be a a secret opportunity for James, but I can't see him walking away from the seat that easily.
2: Okay. Uh, Moving on. Tim?
3: Uh, Okay. Unless
2: you've got something else that uh, that you want to say about that. Okay.
3: Uh, Just thought that was a strange way to end. Uh, no, uh, IndyCar?
2: well, no, 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 not uh, sorry, not necessarily IndyCar. If there's any other IndyCar, I was just ending the the uh, hinge uh, conversation uh, on that. Uh,
3: there isn't. So we're going to move on to rallying, and uh, we start with some sad news. Unfortunately, the double British Rally Champion uh, Russell Brooks has passed away at the age of 74 books began competing in the early 1960s, but it wasn't uh, until mid-70s when he signed a pioneering sponsorship deal with uh, Andrew's Heat for Hire uh, that his profile skyrocketed. The Worcesterbourne driver got a big break in 1976, receiving a works Ford escort for the British Rally Championship, which he lost to Ari Vasanen but in the firm's RS 1800 he took his first British title one year later against strong competition. His second British title came in 1985 at the end of a fierce two-year battle with the Opel Manta 4000 Works teammate Jimmy McCrae. Despite that almost eight-year wait-for-title, Brooks took wins, in most cases multiple wins, on most of the major prestigious rallies of the period. His victories included Circuit of Ireland, Manx, Ulster, Welsh and Scottish rallies, all at a time where the majority of the drivers in the World Rally Championship would come to the UK to compete in parallel programmes, raising the competition. Brooks himself fairly wrenched into... Rarely ventured into the WRC but scored three podiums on his home event, the RAC Rally, now Wales Rally GB, a sixth place in Rally Finland in a Vauxhall Chevette in 1982 and he took part in the Tour of Corsica while driving for Ford. In his career he drove everything from minis, Talbot Sunbeam Lotus, Lancia Delta Integrales, Porsche 911s and Opel Cadets as well as his trusty escorts and mantas in a career which spanned three decades as he retired from regular competition at the end of 1991. He still competed in sporadic events and even won the historic RAC Rally in 1997 and was giving demos in his eclectic cars as late as last year, a regular at events like Rally Day and Race Retro. Russell Brooks, who died today.
2: And sadly, not the only rally death we've got to talk about because uh, last week, 15th of October, uh, we, I'm afraid, lost Andrew Cowan, Scottish rally driver, um, and probably better known as his uh, in his senior director role at Mitsubishi uh, Rally Art until he retired in the end of 2005. Cowan, a, a border man raised in Dunns, uh, same place that Formula One world champion Jim Clark came from. In fact, those two guys were uh, close friends, uh, both farmers, around about the same age. Their lifestyles, according. to to Andrew, were a great help in their subsequent careers. We each had to have a car, we were each able to drive in the fields, off-road, and, of course, through all the Tristy Roads uh, around it, where there was practically no traffic in those days. That definitely refined our driving skills. We had advantages that other drivers didn't. They were both members of the Burwick and District Motor Club in the 1950s. Jim Clark, of course, went on to uh, drive in open wheel and circuit racing, whereas. Andrew Cow went off-road uh, in a Sunbeam Rapier in the 1960 RAC Rally. Uh, Roots, which was uh, the forerunner of Chrysler and Talbot uh, as a professional rally driver, then Mitsubishi uh, in 1972, a couple of Scottish rally titles, and he won uh, the first two London to Sydney marathons in 1968 uh, and 1977. I think the 1968 car was in a Hillman Hunter, if I uh, remember correctly. I seem to remember having the Corgi model of that. And he did the Paris-Dakar rally uh, as well in its early years. But it was actually behind a desk where he found more success than ever before when Mitsubishi asked him to establish a European base for their motorsport activities. Originally, Andrew Cowan Motorsports in Rugby, Warwickshire, which became Mitsubishi Rally Art Europe and that was where Tommy Mackinnon scored four consecutive WRC driver's titles from 1996 to 1999, as well as Mitsubishi winning their manufacturer's crown, in fact, their only manufacturer's crown, in 1998. Remember, they were in Group A cars uh, as well. Uh, he remained a sporting advisor for uh, until 2005, when he retired at 69. Andrew Cowan, who died from an illness in hospital last week on the 15th Of October.
3: Moving on to more contemporary rally news now. And the Estonian Rally Championship is uh, used by a lot of young drivers because uh, its lowest age limit is 14 uh, compared with the 17 or 18 in other European countries. Really? That means that there are people competing in the Estonian Rally Championship who have only ever known a world rally champion to be a Frenchman called Sebastian.
2: (laughs) One of two Frenchmen uh, uh, called Sebastian. It's because Sebastian Loeb and then Sebastian Ogier have rather wrapped up the WRC for the last... uh,
3: 14 years. Is it 14 years? Well, 15, actually. 2004 to... Uh, 2018, every uh, World Rally Championship has been won by Sebastian Loeb, or Sebastian Ogier. But not this year. No. Oit! Because Ert Tanak Mm -hmm. became the first Estonian to win the FIA World Rally Championship uh, after a tense finale to Spain's uh, Rally Catalunya, the Rally of Spain on Sunday afternoon. He snatched second place in the uh, power stage to secure the crown with a round to spare. Uh, It's Toyota's first driver's title since when?
8: 2001?
3: Earlier. Much earlier
2: than
3: Uh,
2: that. They were thrown out for a little while, weren't they? We don't talk about that. Well no. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Um it wasn't their finest hour and they've they've embraced that and moved on from it. Um
3: oh. nineteen ninety seven? Earlier. Really? Yeah.
2: Eighty seven.
3: Didier Oriol in nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. Wow. Yeah.
8: Extra. Surely the guy who won it has to change his name legally to Sebastian now, though. <laughs> Isn't there a bylaw about that in the rules?
2: <laughs> Fairly good. Yeah. Sebastian Tanak, obviously. Yeah. That's it. Simple uh, as.
3: He started uh, the final um, rally in third place, needing to finish no lower than one position behind leader Thierry Nerville in the mm-hmm. final bonus points-paying stage to prevent the Belgian carrying the fight to next month's finale in Australia Mm. Uh, but sweeping past Danny Sordo to claim second place in his Toyota Yaris uh, he finished 17.2 seconds behind Nerville's Hyundai i20 uh, and said it's difficult to say the pressure I felt this weekend it was next level to manage all this and get through Mm. it has been the target of my life when you're on the verge of this you cannot imagine it I never wanted to take risks, but my mother said yesterday evening that if I want something, I can make it happen. I just have to make it happen. Yari Mati Latvola also got points for Toyota, finishing fifth behind Sebastian Loeb. Uh, And in sixth place was the Ford Fiesta of Elvin Evans. So that means that after 13 rounds out of 14, Ert Tanak is the new champion on 263 points. Thierry Nerville has 227. Sebastian Ogier has 217.
2: Where well, would you like to go next? I'll just remind everybody, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 41. Tim Gray's up in London. She Adam is over in Fort Lauderdale. And I'm John Hindhoff. And we're live on the radio, just coming up to a quarter to ten, at Greenwich Main Time, because our clocks have changed. Do you want to do some football results just to make sure we're... Prove we're live?
3: I'll come on to that shortly after uh, we go to Jerez. All right. Uh, where 15,000 spectators, allegedly, and uh, 50 cars competed to be crowned uh, world champions in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo World Finals. Oh, really? Yes. OK. And uh, one of the was...
8: spectators?
2: Yes. Apparently, there's a bit of confusion well, that, that about there was a bit of confusion, wasn't there, about who'd actually won that?
3: Yeah, well, everyone's a winner. Oh, really? There are so many different classes.
2: Well, well, yes, but in the overall, they couldn't split the two uh, teams over That's the true. weekend. The
3: Wayne Taylor racing car and the uh, Target racing car were tied Andrea on Michi points. Andrea Michi and Sandy Mitchell. Yes. Yeah, um, and they all had one win one second place and one pole so it went back to it, what happened here in the
2: most convoluted way to settle a world championship ever a world finals ever they went back to their regional uh championships and of course the guys were in different championships frederick shandoff was the the guy who was finally crowned pro champion on his own because of races that he did, and nobody else did, not even his co-driver there this weekend, or his regular co-driver in his first normal championship, but it's stuff that he did in another championship um, for Lamborghinis. There was some dispute about whether those could be taken into uh, into consideration. Consideration. It was Jonathan Ciccotto oh, and Shandorf finished equal with Sandy Mitchell and Andrea Amici. The tiebreaker wins in regional Super Trophy series. Uh, four series, Europe, North America, Asia, and Middle East, Would take the account, which meant uh, when you added all those together, Shandoff had eight victories in 2019 because he had six in the Middle East, one in Europe and one in the world final. Originally, mm. it was thought that only Europe, North America and Asia counted, and that would have meant that Amici and Mitchell would have won because they got four by, uh, against two for Shant. Have, have, has you given up the will to live yet?
3: Yes. Yeah, me
2: too. A little shall, bit. Yeah. Shall we move on? Uh,
3: yes, and it's 5-5. Five, five. Excellent.
2: 5-5. Five, five. Wow, that's high scoring. Yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. Uh, that proves that we are live. Uh, shall we move on to Imza? Yes. Before we do, I've uh, got a bit of sad news, I'm afraid, because good friend of ours and my first ever commentary colleague in the United States when I went out for what was to be, we didn't know it then, the start of something extraordinary and an historic broadcast in its own right, Petit 1998, which we broadcast on the internet. Jim Martin, who was also the uh, voice of uh, motorsports, Canadian Time Motorsport Park, worked at VIR Road America, as well as in the Imza Paddock for many, many years. Sadly, uh, passed away last week, died um after he uh, declined rather quickly in the last few weeks, he'd uh, been battling a number of illnesses and uh, had done that with his usual aplomb and a big smile on his face. Started life as a DJ on radio and uh, was doing the morning show up in Barry, uh, just north of uh, mm. Toronto, for a, a long time and loved his uh, loved his motorsport. He uh, was. Outstanding in all the work that he did, and I remember being over there as a rather over-excited cub, play-by-play commentator for that particular morning. Jim was the voice of reason and the voice of knowledge, and did everything in a cool, calm, and collected way. Um, we never really uh, replaced Jim in the announcement and announcers' booth, um, and uh, he went on to con con. Uh, to continue his career working in PR and doing presentations for all the major manufacturers, but especially GM uh, north uh, of the border up there in Canada. Um, I'll remember him for so many things, but his professionalism, uh, his good humour, uh, his smile, and he always had a joke or two as well. Uh, it seems like only a few days ago, not the months ago it was, that I was speaking to him at Canadian Time Motorsport Park, and the first thing he came up with, came up and gave me a big hug, and passed me condolences on the passing of my dad, which had happened just after I got back home from CTMP last year. And we pass our condolence now onto his daughter, Trace, and all of the Martin family and his many friends in motorsport. I think fair to say, Adam, and you knew Jim, as as did your dad, the voice of Mosport. And long before we got involved, the voice of IMSA, because he was the guy who travelled around all of IMSA as well.
8: Yeah, and just as big of a fan and friend to everyone in the paddock. I mean, everybody knew Jim and uh, certainly knew the sounds of his voice. I mean, it's going to be so strange going back to, as he knew it, most sport in July and him not walking into our booth saying, hey, you guys going to be ready to pick up? I'll just fill in the gaps and yeah. we'll just bounce back and forth. You know, that uh, that was Jim, um, just a great man and somebody who loved cottage country. So I hope he's uh, enjoying the permanent cottage country up in the sky.
2: Yeah, he yeah, yeah, did that. I also remember my dad saying after that first particular one, "Listen to us on a crackly dial-up uh, internet line. So how long have you known Jim then? And I went, Jim who? Jim Martin. the guy you were commentating with i said what you mean apart from the weekend my dad said yeah i said not at all i met him you know when we got there and the first time i'd worked with him was the first time we opened the mics he was that sort of person he was as generous in the broadcast booth as he was in life and he was he was a smashing bloke much much missed and fought his way back to health after a really nasty road accident at silverstone Um, when he was over here working with us and came to Le Mans with us a couple of times as well. Jim Martin, who uh, died Thursday uh, last week. Much, much missed. Uh, Let's move on to the rest of the IMSA news and uh, some good stories coming out of IMSA this week. We'll rattle through them because we're starting to run out of time already. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Grasser Racing. Grasser Racing dropping their SRO programme. Not great for SRO, Good news, however, for full, a full-season entry, or possibly even entries, couple of cars in GTD.
8: Two cars. I mean, they've already proven that running, well, two cars at the Daytona 24 is enough, so that means that they can come in and hopefully get a third-in-a-row Rolex watch and a second consecutive Sebring 12-hour win. That's what they're going to be aiming for, a very much powerhouse team we don't know who the drivers are going to be yet for their organisation, but uh, hey, maybe we get Rick Breukers in full each season, and that'd be pretty cool to see Evo every weekend, eh, John? <laughs>
2: I'm going to jump around here. Um, LMP3 Prototype Challenge in IMSA. A bit of uh, an expansion for a team that we saw for some selected races last year. The very pretty white and blue, uh, light blue and, and dark blue livery uh, of JR. Now, is it gr 3 racing, JR111?
8: Junior 3, I believe, uh, is how I heard it pronounced at the awards banquet by somebody. I can't remember who that was now. Um, But yes, they're looking to run two cars next year. So they sort of dipped their toes in at the end of the season with Chris Wilson, a veteran driver, who was saying just how difficult the cars were to drive really shocked him. But they're looking to bring not only that one car back with potentially two drivers, but a second car. So that's a Mm. lot of good opportunity for that grid.
2: Uh, and as you say, they must have liked it. The dip, the the toe in, and the water must have been fine. Two full season entries yeah. there. It was
8: Cohen and then Cannon.
2: Yeah, and then just <laughs> jumped in off the top board. Fantastic, we love it. Uh, the exactly. uh, the season, uh, the the competitive part of the season, substantive part of the season, I should say for IMSA over. But we have still got one more IMSA event, the IMSA uh, Michelin Sportscar Encore Court International Race. We remember this was an additional en- additional event last year to. Get people who hadn't been using Michelin tyres used to them before the season. It was such a hit. The teams asked if we could do it again. Ibza and Michelin said, yes, we can. Uh, And one of the best news stories that we've had recently on that is that Tim Pappas is going to be back in the car after that nasty accident at Bathurst at the start of the season. A black swan are back and joined by a couple of of really high-profile teams. uh, Yes. um, Actually, Riley's there as well um, in in GT3. Probably four cars, not a massive entry so far. I'm hearing around about 20 cars.
8: I'm hearing about 20 cars as well, and for all the naysayers out there who are being really negative toward the Encore, just because a smaller field than last year doesn't necessarily mean a worse field. No. We've got Paul Miller Racing. We've got Riley, as you hit on. That'll be Lawson and Gar coming in to sort of shake things out for their full I think season that's campaign. Smart.
2: I think that's a really smart figure too. very yeah.
8: smart. We have two Porsches from Wright Motorsport. They have not yet announced their driver lineup, and we know that they're shopping for different series to run for their amateur drivers for next year, Ryan Hardwick and Anthony Imparato. We don't know who's going to be in their cars yet for the Encore. We do know Tim Pappas and Black Swan, as you mentioned. GT4, we've got three cars that I've figured out so far. Turner with one BMW. Riley nice. with a GT four entered Mercedes Ooh. and carbon the series champions this year. They're going to be running one Audi at the very least. And then an LMP three, I've been able to shake out three different teams that are going to be running performance tech, likely with multiple cars, 47 Motorsports and ANSA, the team that won last yes. year. Keep an eye out for them. TCR. We've got nobody publicly declared yet, but remember earlier in the season, we heard Brian Herta say that he really wanted to bring a couple of cars out. We are going to get a full list on Monday, so keep your eyes peeled on that competitor's website.
2: Yeah, and if you're listening and you're a competitor and you're listening live now, the um, or even if you're listening on the the podcast and it's still early in the week, uh, November the first is the extended deadline for entries. So if that's just whetted yeah. your appetite, November the first, uh, they've they've added about a week on. Uh, to that we mentioned that last week on the tweets because that was coming in during the show uh, last week and we were deep in conversation about something else and I didn't get around to mention it for which I apologize to Greg Elkin and the rest of the guys but uh, there is still time this week as well but we did tweet it last week
8: and the other thing is John the weather around the US right now not great it's going to rain on Halloween in pretty much all of the country uh, except down here and there is snow in the northern parts of the country. Uh, yeah, not down here. Guys, come on. Come spend a weekend in mid-November down in Florida. Why not?
2: Sounds sounds absolutely brilliant uh, to me. And we'll have uh, live coverage in sound and vision of the Michelin Encore. Uh, that is the weekend of the uh, 8th, 8th, 9th and 10th, isn't it, of... Uh, November. It's the weekend before we go to the quarter for the 24 two-day hours weekend. And yes, it is actually only a two day weekend. You're absolutely right. Uh, and the hits keep coming as far as IMS is concerned, because we've been sitting on this for ages and ages and ages. And we have an Eminem story.
8: Yay! I'm so happy I can finally talk about this. Uh, There was one point in time where I actually went up to each of the drivers involved. That would be Mario Farnbacher and Matthew McMurray. This was before the season ended. And I said, hey, guys, congrats on next year. I, I know what's going on. And both of them I saw turn completely white because they didn't know that anyone outside of their mm-hmm. team knew. So very happy that we can finally talk about this. We are having two defending champions teaming up together. For Matthew McMurray, it's a class switch. He has run the NSX over in Europe before, but he won an LMP2 this year in IMSA. He's joining Mario Farnbacher, a guy who's sort of helped mentor him a very little bit. They haven't actually shared a car yet, so that's going to be an interesting experience. But Mario... The defending gtd champion and also remember that young mcmurray who by the way isn't that young anymore is in his early 20s now (laughs) um but he's coming off of an internship with acura so he's worked within hpd to try and learn more about the behind the scenes of these cars he's going to be uber fast
2: um and and still the good news keeps coming. i mean i know everybody's talking about People leaving the WeatherTech Championship, but Turner with an extra BMW for the Hall Series in GT4 uh, for yeah for uh, 2020.
8: Well, and there's something more to that, John, because I'm hearing that there could be another full season GT4 BMW coming out of the BimmerWorld Stadium. Oh, really? So that's another possibility. We could go from having just just a couple, maybe three on any given weekend. You know, Stephen Cameron racing out there with BMW too. All of a sudden, we could have more BMWs on the GT4 grid than any other car. But superb news from Turner that they will be needing to hire more mechanics and engineers. So if you have a resume out there and you want to come help them out, Send it
2: in. Yeah, I saw that on uh, on the web. Uh, Robbie Foley and Bill Oberlin uh, continuing for Turner Motorsport, probably, probably doing double duty in their WeatherTech uh, program and the GT4 for the Michelin Pilot Challenge. And, and by the way, they are confirmed aren't they? With the WeatherTech Championship programs, they, they are doing the GT3 car as well with the, uh, the M6.
8: Turner is, yes. yes. Uh, we don't know their driver lineup yet because that comes in December. Bill Oberlin being a BMW driver doesn't Technically, find out where he's going to land, but we have no reason to believe that Bill will be going for his record-breaking win in North America with any team aside from Will Turner's boys and girls.
2: And just a quick note about the season um, that uh, we've just finished, and uh, particularly for Michelin, we're talking about the Michelin Encore coming up. What a season! for michelin was it 116 track records or something this year for, for michelin <laughs> that i read the other day i'm no i'm serious uh, and, I, and i wouldn't be surprised and, and for those who talk about bop being a bad thing um uh, i've got a feeling that i read that of 19 manufacturers involved in imsa competition uh, that uh, I think 17 of those manufacturers run on Michelin tyres, and I believe all 17 at some stage set a lap record or a qualifying record this year. Wow! So yeah, I could I could believe it. That was that was very very impressive indeed. Uh, and have you got anything more for share before we let her go? Uh,
3: Martinsville, Shay.
2: Oh oh yes, yeah. the paperclip. Oh, what a slugfest that was. There were actually quite a... It was, it was quite a bit more bashing crash slugfest. than I thought.
8: Well, Joey Logano always gets um, involved with his hands in one sense or another at yes. Martinsville. It always Good seems point. like he's crashing somebody. He's getting in a fight after the race. Well, this time, there was a fight. Joey Logano was involved, but in my opinion, not his fault. On track, on a restart, Denny Hamlin completely shoved Logano up into the wall, Just took him out, quite frankly. Logano was very upset. There was a big fight after the race, but that's unimportant. What is important, Martin Truex Jr. dominated the race. He led more laps than anyone else. He led like 380-something laps over the course of, and I know, the laps just go on and on and on and on, but he was the driver to come away with the race win. He earned it, punched his ticket to Homestead, looking for his second championship That will come at the end of the year. The other big thing that came out of the weekend was Matt Tift was uh, taken from the track to a hospital locally. He was checked and it was announced actually, I think it was today or yesterday, he suffered a seizure in Martinsville, uh, not in a session, but in between sessions. He will not be driving for the remainder of the season. His seat was taken by Matt Crafton at the weekend, Matt filled in. But John Hunter Nemechek will be driving for Front Row Motorsport for the last three races of the season. So we wish Matt Tift a very speedy recovery. Uh,
2: just before we move on... Uh... Being pointed out by a number of people, including Matthew Hyman, that Toyota won the Manufacturers title last year in WRC.
3: Which is why I said Drivers' Championship. Ah, yes, you did. Uh, on the subject of Drivers' Championships, Matt Housen's uh, picked up the inaugural TCR Japan uh, one after a win in second place at Suzuka at the weekend. Uh, Yuki Taniguchi won the Gentleman Drivers' class, uh, both of them for KCMG.
2: Yeah, good run for the... Uh, at the KCMG guys. And that's all we've got time Don't for. Uh, is it? Yes. Oh, well, a little bit more Japanese news before we go. Very quickly. Uh, no surprises. Jensen Button uh, will uh, not continue his Super GT exploit. He's uh, packing it in at the end of the year. Spirited discussion on the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective about what he might be doing next. And I'll say here what I said there. I spoke to Jensen at Easter. About his plans for next year, and he loves IMSA racing, but there is, uh, there is uh, other. There are other reasons why. Um, are
3: we allowed to talk about what he was doing where you saw him?
2: Oh yes, we we covered that. Oh, we did yeah, cover that. yeah. We, he was he uh, was setting a lap record at Bathurst in before, a front-wheel Drive car.
3: Before we leave uh, Japan, Nick Cassidy winner again in uh, Super Formula.
2: Yes. Yes. Go, Nick. Yeah, no, that was that was a very good uh, result for him this season. He's had a, a really good season. Uh, quick, quick line from Shea on Virgin Australian Supercars before we go because the racing was outstanding, but there was an incident in qualifying oh. that I, I I have a feeling that there was a draft blowing through the house and it blew dust into my eye.
8: It was scary. It was a very scary crash for Scotty McLaughlin, whose Bathurst-winning chassis is now in dire need of repair uh, because it was car. squashed. Yeah, but it's right now. It's not even a show car, John. Right now, it's what Jeff Mosing would call a coffee table—something you just crush up into a tiny little ball and then put a piece of glass on it. A very scary crash where he wound up sideways with his roof pressed up a concrete barrier. Red flag was thrown and uh, a very touching moment from Shane Van Gisbergen, who actually stopped his car on track, jumped out and went over to help the safety officials try to get Scotty out of the car. Scotty was taking oh, the There was fuel all sorts hospital. getting
2: pumped out of it. The car was on its side. Yeah. They weren't sure where they could get out. Uh, nice as well that the marshals said to, to Van Gisbergen, thanks very much for your help, mate. We'll take it from yeah. here kind of thing. And, and once Scotty was out, that was, was good. Scotty had to go to the hospital. He was pretty shaken up.
8: Well, he suffered a crash that sustained 47 uh, G's laterally. So that's a bit of a mix up that you want to get taken to hospital. Make sure that there's no soft tissue damage or anything. Mm. But also the day before, John, there'd been a crash in Super Bowl for uh, Mostert, for Chazzy. He had been the fastest car going into it. And he, too, rode his chassis off and was unable to participate in the weekend. Uh, But ultimately, the end of the weekend... We had Triple Eight bouncing back. It was a win for Lounsey and Wynn Cup on race one, a win for Shane and Garth Tander in race two. In my opinion, having watched both races, Lounsey won the races based off of the start. He got the most perfect start of race one that allowed him to drive around the outside of the pole sitter into that first chicane area was able to keep the lead from there and then there were some team orders that went back and forth which people were a little bit controversial about but we'll let let that to one side. Huh. Race 2, it was Garth Tander on the pole and Lounsey started second. He again got a perfect start but he backed off going into the chicane to allow Garth a clear line through. I guarantee you, if that hadn't been a teammate along his side, he would have been in P1 oh. going through the first yes. term
2: No doubt. No doubt. No doubt at all. Uh, and we'll finish tonight with the final piece of rally news. Uh, recently confirmed as world champion Oytanik will be announced as a Hyundai driver at the
3: weekend. Yeah, there's no need to announce it. Everyone knows. Well,
2: you know, just, hey, <laughs> we, we got the Formula One disqualification story before Formu- half an hour before Formula One tweeted it themselves last week mm. when we were, were talking about the... Uh, the Renaults, um, so, you know, that was that was pretty cool.
3: If you want another Renault scoop, they're going to pull out a Formula 1. I heard it here first.
2: What? So, are you going to put a timeline on that? You could say anybody's going to pull out a Formula 1.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sometime. I, I think after 2020. Really? We shall see. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a very,
2: um, uh, just on that, Renault, we're, we're talking with uh, with who? With um fiat chrysler group recently about a merger yes. and it all went horribly wrong because the french government who still have a, a small stake in renault, a stake in renault uh, got involved however i'm hearing now that it's peugeot and uh, fiat uh, yes. fca who were talking together so about be that
3: the uh, peugeot Vauxhall, opal uh alfa mayo fiat chrysler jeep a bit like Dayou mclaren
8: group. aero schmidt peterson maserati
2: Yes, exactly. Um, so that could have implications for all of their motorsport programmes oh, in the future. Or alternatively, none of them. Or oh, none of them. Or, oh, yeah, just keep an eye. Sometimes it pays to watch the financial pages. Uh, thanks to all of our guests tonight. A particular thank you to the Dempsey's at Silverstone for making me so welcome today. And the Team USA scholarship guys, Steve Nichols, thanks very much indeed for looking after me uh, down there as well. To uh, Nick Sheer. Uh, And to Tim and, of course, to the responsible adult who, despite everything, is still omnipotent and there's no time to explain. Just hop swiss at the moment from this part of the world.
0: Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production.
1: Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.